G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Ian Smith on SENZ. Good morning, uh, New Zealand. Happy Waitangi Day and uh, New Zealand Day. Wherever you are around the country, uh, let's hope you're dry uh, because whilst we've been crying out for rain, I'm not sure we were crying out for this much in a lot of parts of New Zealand and it's soaked the country. It really has. So if you're you're having problems, uh, we wish you all the best there. Uh, Otherwise, it's uh, just a case of staying dry and uh, getting through it and uh, enjoying, uh, if you can, your holiday. A busy Sort of four hours we've got, this uh, new for me, a four-hour shift, so we'll uh, pace ourselves through it like uh, the proverbial marathon that it is. Um, but we're going to start with uh, Ken Laban this morning because, uh, of course, uh, Ken uh, was at the game between the Hurricanes uh, and the Blues. He was able to call it in a, off a YouTube-type style. We'll ask him about that, actually, but he was able to uh, give us an update and uh, on what was uh, he's seen over the weekend with the three games, really, uh, those three important build-up matches. Uh, a panel this morning consisting of uh, Jamie Wall and Guy Havelt, uh, and uh, subjects there including our wonderful Golden Zoe, uh, Moana Pacifica, Kelly Slater winning a title at the age of uh, 50, how about that, his eighth pipeline, Masters pipeline, uh, and then of course uh, the Black Caps are uh, being named tomorrow morning, what did they do it at 5 o'clock, it's interesting, uh, and uh, the Justin Lang- Langer scenario is uh, prevalent on our mind because uh, after 11 we're going to go to Ian Healy. Former Australian great wicketkeeper, of course, commentator. What the hell happened there? Uh, Stump Smithy at 11.30. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the possible Black Caps uh, just after midday. Um, we're going to talk uh, Phoenix. Phoenix action with a double goal scorer. And uh, boy, they got up 3-1 last night. What a great result that was. Jeff McTainch in Beijing. Uh, and then, of course, we'll go back to Beijing and talk to Nick Kavanagh. And Nick Kavanagh is the CEO and the High Performance Director of Snow Sports New Zealand, and maybe another interview or two um, towards the end of our show. But uh, for the moment, it's uh, Roger Tovasashek made his debut for the Blues in yesterday's Super Rugby pre-season 28-21 win over the Hurricanes in Wellington. Uh, pretty wet Wellington, um, I understand too. Uh, the man calling the action uh, on not such a great day for running rugby in particular uh, was uh, Sky Sports' Ken Laban, of course, uh, friend of the show. Ken, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. Yeah, mate, now you've managed to, to get where a lot of people weren't able to get behind closed doors. Uh, and uh, really, it was, uh, it was a hit out what's necessary for both squads, of course. What did you make of it between the, the Blues and the Hurricanes? Well, I suppose on a positive sense, the Hurricanes jumped out 21-7, um, a penalty try, and then um, uh, off a line-out drive where they collapsed them all, and then uh, exactly the same try a few minutes later, so they would be encouraged 
Um, <clears throat> by that, and equally, the Blues would be encouraged with the way that they came back um, to to end up winning the game by 28 points to um, the 21, and they scored a couple of spectacular tries along the way, and allowing for the fact that a lot of the key players um, were missing. Um, Smitty, I think they'd be reasonably happy that you know it was physical. They had a chance to um, get stuck in with a bit of contact ahead of the opening round next weekend. Okay, let's uh, look at the, the performance of uh, the man they're all talking about leading into this. We've been waiting to see him uh, in NPC action last year. We, we didn't get to see that. Uh, of course, Roger Tuovasa-Shek, and um, you know more than uh, anyone about uh, the two codes and making the transition, Ken. Uh, how did you see the early stages of it? Well, he gave away a couple of penalties for um, not releasing the ball on the ground. Um, after a professional career that took him to age 28, <clears throat> where you're allowed to die with a ball and then get up and play it with your feet. Um, so that's one rule change I thought that he struggled with, and of course penalties. Uh, that means you concede the kick, and you concede the throw at the line out, and generally you concede field position, and sometimes it's a couple of minutes before you get the ball back. So um, he's got a little bit of work to do in those areas. His touches with the ball um, were fine, and defensively, um, he was solid um, and of course the danger well it's not a danger but the reality for him Smithy is that every time he takes the field what we want to see is you know does the performance match the hype um, so I think that um, there were some good things that he did yesterday uh, but there will be also some things of um, of some concern um, and I guess of interest was uh, is his best position 12 um, and if mm. he plays 12, who's going to play 13 um, outside him? Are they talking about potentially him at 12 and Rico at 13? Um, Pedofeta, of course, who's been fantastic for them at the back, was very, very good yesterday. Um, he can play that kid. Uh, each year he's you know, adding another season of maturity and development mm. um, in this game. And Harry Plummer looked good yesterday as well. And it looks like he might be starting the early season in the number 10 jersey, given um, this rule regarding the All Blacks not being available. It's an interesting point you make uh, about two of us, Ashek, and the 12. What kind of 12 do you think he's going to be? Is he going to be a, a, a 12 calling the shots, or is he going to be a hard-hitting 12 as such? Well, that's an interesting question. So he's not a, he's not a Sonny Bill Williams body. Um, Sonny at 6'4", 108, uh, could run hard, run straight, commit defenders, and as we all know, comfortably able to get the ball away on the inside or outside. Um, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the, the shape to do that. He's got the skill set um, to do that. He's certainly got the footwork, as we all know. Uh, but it's just you know worth bearing in mind that in rugby league, the defence is ten metres back. Uh, in rugby union, standing on the advantage line. Um, then I thought that was probably an area that he just struggled a little bit to come to grips with yesterday, um, that the defence are right up on top um, of him, and you can you know try as hard as you want to be creative, but sometimes the space is not there. And of course, you know prior to Sunny Bill, it was for a long time it was Ma'anonu, wasn't it? 108 mm. kilos, uh, five foot eleven and a half, a big big banger um, as well. So he's probably. Um, he's probably a combination of them, but he's probably got to find his own way and find his own, you know, is he going to play before the line and try and put the 13 away? Um, or is he going to take the ball forward and 
be a midfield target and recycle the ball, or is he going to be a little bit of both? And I think the answer probably lies more in what kind of player Leon McDonald was. Um, and I think that potentially that could be the direction where Rogers uh, heading. Um, versatile, can play fullback, 13, 12, um, on the wing, uh, almost a David Harvey type player. Um, but I don't know, that's putting a lot of, on his feet when he's only had you know, one half of a pre-season trial. But um, mm. you know, certainly there's some interest over his performances. Okay, let's uh, look across the fence then and, and what impressed you uh, in the Hurricanes. Obviously, they, they hit the ground running with a good start. Yes, they did. Their scrum looked, um, their scrum looked very good. Uh, their line-out looked, um, looked pretty solid. They got a couple of good tries, one a penalty try and another a good drive off a, a typical Hawks Bay type um, uh, try with Parsons running the cutter. Uh, in the middle of the line. He's going to be good for the Hurricanes given the form that he's been in um, in the last couple of years um, as well. And they picked up Devery um, as well. So from the Hurricanes' uh, point of view, I guess the only area of concern for them is going to be, you know, who is going to play 10. Ruben Love and Jackson Garnham-Bashup shared the 10 jersey yesterday. And when is TJ Pedernata going to come back? Is he going to start the season um, or is he not? That's an interesting debate, Smithy, isn't it? Um, mm. The Crusaders, uh, I think, from a recent conversation I had with one of their coaching staff, they are 65 and three with uh, Richie Moonga on the park. So they're 92% with that boy in the number 10 jersey. Um, and if he's been told to sit out for uh, for six weeks, and as you know. Uh, mate, it only takes you know one loss or one near loss that can cost you a home semi and can cost you a place in the playoffs. Um, you know, not to mention the other um, issues regarding the best players missing. You know, I know that there's no fans going to the game, but if you were a fan going to the game uh, and the best players weren't playing, do you feel that you're getting your money's worth? Um, <clears throat> you and I, as well as being employees of Sky, we're also Sky subscribers. Uh, mate, how do we feel paying our Sky subscriptions um, when, we, when we buy quality products and we expect to see LeBron James um, playing for the Lakers and we expect to see you know, Tom Brady playing for the Buccaneers or for the Patriots and we expect to see Bowden Barrett playing for the Blues and we expect to see Richie Moonga playing uh, for the Crusaders and they take them out for six weeks. Um, and he only played, to be fair, he only played a... Um, a small part in the end of season footy. Anyway, I, you know, I would have thought that they could manage their minutes a lot better than just making these carte blanche decisions to just take them out of the competition, because you know, for sure, the competition itself, integrity, reputation, all of those things are the lesser for not having those players on the park. I oh, look, I totally agree with you, Ken, and I, it's got me baffled. It seems such a long, long time ago the All Blacks finished that tour. Uh, and, you know, it is for all intents and purposes. We're looking, coming up about nine weeks. Um, it's two and a bit months. And we're talking about professional sportsmen here. Uh, at the very least, it should be the player's choice for me. At the very least, it should be the player's choice. Um, they're grown up. They're grown men. Uh, and for me, um, if, if they want to bail out and their heart's not on it to start this early, oh, so be it. But if they're ready to go and they want to play and they want to enhance their chances in front of selectors, etc., um, and just as well, uh, just be damn good players for their franchises. 
let them go. Uh, me, the world's a different place than it used to be. I think we say that every day. But anyway, uh, Ken, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. Um, what I don't normally do in terms of these preseason games, uh, take much notice of the score because, you know, there's no points in it as such. Uh, you want to just see uh, how combinations work, etc. But I did have a bit of a, a, an eyebrow raise at 61-7 the other night. Uh, what did you make of Moana Pacifica's debut? Well, it's going to be tough for them. You know, and that was against the Chiefs who played their B team um, as well. And the reality is, you know, lurking in the wings are the Highlanders, the Crusaders, um, the Blues and the Hurricanes. So it's going to be tough. And again, we go back to that debate about the rules of engagement. Um, was everybody being completely transparent in the process and allowing Moana Pacifica to put together a side that could be um, that could be competitive? There's some fabulous players across the five New Zealand franchises that are not going to make the starting lineup and only going to have limited uh, limited playing time. You know, with a with a much more broader, much more inclusive um, line of thinking and uh, and action, they could have shared some of those quality players. Um, around it, even when the Hurricanes yesterday had nice, you know, had a nice chat to Colsey um, before the game um, yesterday. Well, you know, they've got him and Asafor, um, Almore, um, and obviously Colsey being the captain, he's going to start every game um, that he's available for, and Asafor's only going to only going to get limited playing time. But we all know Asafor was a player of the um, of the future as far as the All Blacks. Are, um, are concerned. How much better would it have been for the game, for Moana Pacifica and for the player himself to get increased game time starting for Moana Pacifica um, every week. And imagine if they had half a dozen test players um, in that side. I think I think that would have been tremendous. But, you know, it's the um, it's how it was allowed to happen and how it allowed to unfold. And, you know, it is what it is. But I think they could have done it. We could have done as a game a better job to support Moana Pacifica, particularly in terms of the quality of their playing roster. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, clearly they, they started pretty well, but they ran out of gas towards the end of it, and I think that might be uh, part of it. Because I mean, they're only, what, have they been together as a unit, uh, a tad over a month, if that? Yeah, exactly. November, I think they started. Mm. Yeah, OK. Um, so concerns the Chiefs. Uh, look good, and particularly they finish very strongly. Um, uh, so that's that's it's all well and good. And the other one, of course, was uh, the Highlanders um, and the Crusaders uh, in Western, and the return of uh, Falau Fokatava, uh, which apparently went pretty well. Yes, well, he's an exciting player. Um, you and I have seen a lot of him, um, Smithy. Another one to come through that wonderful um, uh, factory that is Hastings Boys High. Uh, tremendous success as a uh, as a schoolboy, then through the New Zealand secondary school um, system as well. And injuries essentially taken him out for the last eighteen months. But he's a very very exciting uh, young player. Aaron Smith has got a huge regard for the kid as um, as we all do. Um, he's got good feed. He's tough. He's got a good talking game. Um, very very good um, ball player. So he's he's one kid looking forward to seeing a lot more of. In um, in 2022, a case in point, would he have been better to have gone to Moana Pacifica and started every week in the competition as well? That would have done a number of things: one, increased game time; two, increased exposure; and three, would have made them better. Yep, I totally agree, Ken. I absolutely, totally agree. So um, we'll get another look at them. Um, 
in the week uh, coming up, uh, another look at them as they head down to Queenstown and start preparing as such. Uh, how do you think that's going to work? And, and, and also uh, uh, another interesting thing came through yesterday, the Blues CEO saying, listen, when they get past that, let's just open the doors and go. Um, what's your impression on that, and, and how would Wellington react to that? Um, not very well. Um, I'm surprised that um, a high-profile sports administrator would go public with a comment like that, uh, particularly when New Zealand has got a worldwide reputation that's been um, highly regarded given our low number of deaths and the way we've been able to keep the COVID um, situation as much as possible um, under control. I know we've been conservative at times, punitive, some would, some would say, but it's all been done in the best interest of keeping us safe. Um, I know Ashley Bloomfield well and have had a lot to do with him over the years and I trust him, I trust his advice and I trust the staff. I'm not sure I have the same level of confidence in the CEO of Auckland or the Blues rugby team. OK, Ken, thank you very much for that. Uh, we'll see just what happens and uh, what stances are taken by the relative bodies. Uh, and That's uh, about a month away at, at this point anyway. So, hey, Ken, always good to talk to you, mate. I love your opinions. Really do. Uh, speak no from the heart. It's great. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Cheers. Cheers, Thank mate. you very much. Ken, La- Ken Laban there with uh, an honest assessment uh, across the board, really, um, of uh, Roger Tuvasa-Shek of, um, of Moana Pacifica and the way they uh, were not helped in his mind. Uh, and, of course, uh, this thing from uh, the CEO of the Blues who's just come out and said, look, let's just throw open the doors and get on with it. So interesting perspectives there uh, all around. Double eight double three is our text number. What did you make of what you saw? Uh, and Super Rugby, of the games you were able to see or the snippets you were able to see, uh, what pleased you most, what concerned you the most? Uh, Moana Pacifica, is that a sign or is it just a, a very early hiccup? Is it a sign, do you think, of, of what's to come? Uh, because uh, the Chiefs were far from at full strength too. Let's uh, not, not forget that. Uh, as most of the squads were just uh, introducing players to that kind of level of rugby who hadn't been around before and looking for combinations behind the scenes, etc., uh, what are the worrying signs when every side gets back to full strength? Is there a genuine worry for you now that you've seen a Moana Pacifica on the park? It's 10.21 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. to me, yeah. The panel this morning is Jamie Wall and Guy Havelt, and I imagine we'll be getting some fairly forthright opinions. Ken Laban came in hot, so it was great to hear on a few rugby issues. Good, in fact. So let's start with you, Guy Havelt, because it's not the easiest name in the world to say, but it's on everyone's lips. Zoe sadowski Sinnott. Zoe sadowski Sinnott. How good. How good, man. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Jamie. Morning, everyone. Uh, amazing, wasn't it? It, it just the uh, the level of composure, I suppose, to be able to nail what she did on the last run as the last competitor. She knew she had a medal, but let's be or, or, let's let's be honest. She was the hot favourite to win gold, and so the pressure was just enormous. She had won what X Games or whatever it was leading into it. She had been the one to beat the whole time. And to have that much pressure at 20 years old and deliver what she delivered was just outstanding. Look, I'm no expert when it comes to any of this, but uh, that last jump, how on earth did she get 15 to 20 metres further down the further down the mountain than anyone else? It was just absolutely remarkable. And uh, our whole flat was uh, up off the couch and celebrating it. It was, yeah, just, just outstanding to see. And 
obviously the history 30 years after Annalise Koberger uh, to to now win a gold as well. Um, just yeah, brilliant. I mean, what more can you say? It was it was awesome to watch, uh, and I think we're all still buzzing after it, aren't we? And she could win another one in the week's time. Yep. She could get the double, which is uh, unbelievable. And uh, sometimes, Jamie, you kind of sense uh, things like this can be a catalyst. And I'll be thinking, if I was thinking to go into business at the moment, I might be looking at snowboards or winter apparel or something because I, I think this young lady and her teammates are going to spark something quite big in New Zealand and I think it's going to be our most successful games, clearly. Well, yes, uh, I mean, it already is um, with the first gold medal uh, for New Zealand at the Winter Olympics. And well done to Zoe. You know, it's it's fantastic to see a young female athlete uh, with so much pressure on her because, you know, for a country that's never won a gold medal before, uh, for her to go in with that sort of expectation um, has to to really be something, you know, it's it's never been done. And to see her pull it off, and, and Guy mentioned the word composure there—that uh, that's the sign of a of a of a fantastic athlete—and and she's pulled it off. Uh, the theme of this this the commentary around this is everyone saying that I'm no expert about snowboarding. I'm certainly not one either. Uh, but you know, it was great to watch. It's great to watch. And Smithy, you know, you, you mentioned that it, it's something that money can can get poured into now because it's something that's going to inspire uh, other people to do it. And you're absolutely right. And she's she's obviously a very marketable uh, person. She's got the success behind her. She's got the gold. And uh, I think you're right, mate. There, there, there's there's something there. There's something there. And 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 I have to say, well done to not only Zoe and her team uh, and her dad for his fantastic interview on TV last night, but also just to New Zealand Snow Sports for the job they've done to get uh, our athletes into this position and to get a genuine gold medal contender and now to be. Uh, basking in the glory of that. Well done to them. And on the other end uh, of the ledger, uh, Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott at the age of uh, 20. Uh, Kelly Slater, Jamie, at the age of nearly 50. I think he's 50 later this week, uh, winning uh, yet another Pipeline title. Yeah, I can't believe this. Uh, This guy was around when I was like a little kid, and I'm not that young. Uh, It's it's amazing. (laughs) Um, to see a guy still out there competing, and not just competing, but but winning at, at this age, who's considerably older than I am. Um, you know, this guy's. We talked to the, uh, in the last few weeks about Tom Brady, uh, and how he was still going at age, uh, for, you know, 43, I think it was. And now you've got Kelly Slater uh, up there, uh, still going as as well. I, I, I mean. Makes me feel like I sh- I'll, I'll still be running out and playing footy when I'm when I'm that age, hopefully. But I w- won't be winning <laughs> world championships like he is. No, it's, so it's the, quite so an amazing this, story. This, this yeah, this, this should be the biggest story of the week. I, I reckon um, uh, this guy is just absolutely unbelievable what he does. And, and if you don't, you don't really even have to follow surfing to know that that what he's achieved at this age in those waves at that event is nothing short of just absolutely remarkable. Um, and, and, you know, he just looked so... Again, I use that word composed, and he's been around for so long, so composure doesn't really, I suppose, factor into it for him because it's just another event. But at the age of 50, everyone is still expecting you to do well. Uh, I, I was just blown away at the fact that he managed to win that. Uh, globally, I, I honestly think this should be the biggest story of the week. It's just absolutely insanity. I went for my second 
surfing lesson of of my life in the weekend, Smitty. Uh, managed to stand up a couple of times, but uh, it certainly puts things into perspective just how good those guys are when they do that. Uh, and at an age like that, uh, yeah, as I say, just remarkable. Yeah, something in the DNA, the likes of Brady's and, and uh, Slater's and LeBron James, etc., uh, with that age factor as well. It's 10.32. We'll take a short break uh, here, fellas, uh, if you can stick around. Uh, plenty more to talk about, including some rugby, which is back on the plate. Uh, here's Karen. Jamie Wall with us this morning, as is uh, Guy Havelt. And Jamie, um, well, Moana Pacifica, what did you make of that? Because uh, we've been hanging out, and uh, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, the scoreline worries me a wee bit. Should I be worried? Uh, yeah, I think should. Um, I think everyone should, to be honest. Um, first things first, though, um, that game on Friday night was a fundraiser for the Tongan uh, disaster relief effort, and they did manage to raise $25,000. So well done to everybody who was involved in that, that effort. Um, but, yeah, it, was, it wasn't great looking at that scoreboard at the, end of, um, at the end of that game, especially considering that that Chiefs team was missing all of its All Blacks and there were guys playing in that who that's probably the only footy that they're going to play for the Chiefs all year. Um, even afterwards, Clayton McMillan uh, seemed actually quite downbeat about the way that I performed. He very much had a like, right, we got that over with, let's get out of here kind of uh, tone to his voice. So, yeah, it's a long, long way to go. Uh, from Wana Pacifica and they don't have a long time to, to be able to do it. I, I mean, I have to echo what Ken Laban was, was saying uh, just before the, uh, the, the slot started, um, saying that, you know, there's going to be some questions. If this continues, you know, uh, which is kind of hard to see how it's not going to, um, considering that the teams are going to be playing once, this, once the actual season starts, uh, are going to be stacked full of, you know, the, the top, top players. Um, questions are going to have to get asked about how this how this kind of happened. Um, I'm, I'm very going to be very very happy to be proven wrong on that, but it is kind of pretty hard to see how they're going to avoid these sort of score lines in the first three weeks. And the worst bit about it was that you know that they their first game was supposed to be at Mount Smart against the Blues, which would have been a really good crowd, and that's not going to happen now. And the, the first game they're going to have back there, which will you know minimum be a month from now. Uh, will come after three games down there against the the big the big boys, uh, and also just to add a bit of injury to insult, I guess is that they did lose a couple of guys on on Friday night. Solomon Kata um, was uh, had to limp off the field on crutches as well. So there's 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 even those sort of complications arising as well. Uh, guy um, sixty one seven. Normally, I don't uh, really take much notice of scores and these particular things, but when you see a blowout of that nature, particularly as uh, the game wore on, uh, I, I just did. I, I did take notice of it, actually. Is it, is it much of a surprise? Like, I, I'm not surprised that this has happened, and, and I won't be surprised that it'll happen, and it will happen more throughout the Super Rugby season. Look, it's great that, that we finally, finally have a Pacific team in Super Rugby. That, that's been well overdue. But... Uh, when, and it's not a bit part team that's unfair to the players because they are, you know, decent players. But let's be honest, they're not they're not the cream of the crop. Um, they're, they're the next best of of you know the, the Super Rugby talent. And so when you bring them all together as well, and they've only been together for now a few weeks, uh, it, it's difficult. And this is always going to happen, probably with any team of that nature. Uh, they probably I don't think 
I don't know. They probably don't have the funding of other teams either. Um, look, I, I just... I'm not surprised, uh, and I do worry about what the rest of the season is going to be like for them. As Jamie rightly says, this wasn't exactly the number one Chiefs side. They'll bring back plenty of their, of their best players uh, in coming weeks and into Super Rugby proper. Uh, and then uh, Moana Pacifica will be, will be up against you know, other teams with their All Blacks back as well. Uh, this is not going to be a one-off. It's going to happen more and more throughout the season. It's great that they're there, but this is the reality of what it's going to be like for them, at least for a little while anyway, until they really get settled in Super Rugby, get some um, better players, I suppose, as they go, uh, and, and eventually they'll become a team that, that will be competitive on a regular basis. But I think that is still probably some time away. Yeah, I think patience uh, is the word there. If, uh, and rugby patience doesn't tend to last as long as patience in a lot of sports in this country. <laughs> I think it's fair to say we, we, we pass judgment a good deal quicker uh, on this, on the sport that matters the most to us. So we'll see on that one. Um, uh, the other thing of interest tomorrow morning, five o'clock. I don't know why, guy, because uh, most media people aren't up at five in the morning. But the Black Caps Test Squad is named tomorrow morning at five o'clock. I guess it gives all the breakfast shows a chance to have a decent old crack at it. But um, are you? What are you expecting? Uh, any any real surprises? Bearing in mind there is a couple of holes there. Breakfast shows and newspapers, I think, Smithy. I think that's why they do it at 5 o'clock. Uh, well, what I understand is that it'll be a 15-man squad um, because so it'll essentially be like, a, like they're going on a tour. They'll take a, they'll take a couple of extra players into that bubble because, of course, of, co- of COVID, if someone goes out, then they, then they um, need someone there immediately. Uh, look, I, I think there might be an extra keeper in and amongst those, those extra players. Uh, I wonder whether that could be someone like um, Cameron Cam Fletcher from Canterbury, who has been very good this season. I know in the in the more limited overs sort of the game, but but I wonder if he might get his shot uh, and in amongst that team. And then the big question, obviously, is around Kane Williamson whether he will be included in that squad. I'm hearing possibly not, uh, which is a real concern for me. I've got to be honest. This this elbow injury has been there for a long time now and it sounds like surgery won't fix it uh, and it's just going to stick around and, and be niggly for him. Uh, you know, the coaches have said that you know he'll start doing throwdowns and then he'll work back from there. Well, he's been off now for what? The best part of probably a month or even six weeks and uh, we're still waiting um, for, for Kane Williamson to return. So, yeah, a little bit of a concern around that if he is not picked tomorrow and as I say, I suspect he won't be. So, uh, that will be a watch as well. I think you and I have spoken about this, about who will slot into that 3-4 uh, position. Obviously, Devin Conway will go into three, and then who they pick in four will also be a, be an interesting one, whether it's someone like Glenn Phillips or um, Daryl Mitchell or even a Russian Ravindra. So, yeah, those are, those are the interesting aspects for me. Um, and then to see uh, what the South African, when, when it finally rolls around, what the South African side can produce, because they've been a little bit inconsistent in, in recent times. So I'm... Uh, I'm very fascinated to see uh, what kind of what kind of performance they can produce, and obviously in turn whether the Black Caps can uh, can can beat them on home soil in the series, which is a fairly rare thing, really. It is, it is, guy. And here, here's the other uh, interesting little thing to add to the puzzle here, uh, Jamie, is because uh, they're playing two Test matches on two pitches side by side. We've spoken to Rupert Ball, the groundsman down there. He's not going to be able to put the, as obviously as the work into the second one that he would like, which tends to suggest it might just be um, a little bit more variable. I've got a feeling that in a squad of 15, if you want to cover all your contingencies in a bubble-type situation, AJ Patel has just got to be in there, doesn't he? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd think so. I mean, the biggest question for me, really, though, is um, whether these actually get played, because you never know what's going to happen um, tomorrow. Uh, so fingers crossed on, on that front. Um, but, yeah, I, it will be an interesting situation, given that they, they are using the same, you know, they're playing on the same ground um, twice in a row, and, and, and what they can learn from from the first test going into the second one. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that it is time that New Zealand you know, really started to think about using uh, Spinner more consistently at home, um, just just for some some variation. And AJ has obviously proven that he's he, he he's a consistent uh, performer at test level. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, at the same time, though, I mean, I think uh, not as so much has been made of the fact that, um, you know, this is a real chance for the Black Caps to, to kind of knock off one thing that has... Uh, eluded them uh, in the past, which is a series victory over South Africa. I, I believe it's the only the only uh, Test nation that we haven't achieved a series victory over. Uh, so, and uh, you know, obviously a lot of that's got to, to do with um, the fact they weren't playing for so long. But that that's, that is something that uh, I think will be um, in the back of the minds of the Black Caps. It's a really great opportunity for them. Okay, fellas, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, Jamie Wall and Guy Havelt have been the panellists. Uh, more Winter Olympics action to come uh, today. We'll catch up on that uh, a little bit later as we go throughout the afternoon. Gents, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, we'll take a short break when we come back. I've got a number of texts to read out regarding a number of subjects, uh, and then we'll have time, hopefully, for a multi just before uh, 11 o'clock. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Text in from Ken to say, uh, Smithy, watched the Blues game. RTS was good, made a couple of breaks, defended uh, as good as any other player, looked busy, conceded uh, one penalty. Uh, Blues looked good, as did the Chiefs. Uh, that's from Ken. Well, we heard from Ken Laban uh, that uh, he passed, uh, conceded one or two more than that and had some trouble with uh, releasing the ball on the ground. So, um, you know, he, he got through it, though. I think he played 61, 62 minutes, which was uh, a pretty good hit out. Uh, but uh, a lot of eyes on him, but uh, it shouldn't be really. I mean, it's just one player, and and uh, that uh, that black line, that Blues back line, will be a, a focus if they can uh, get all involved this year because they've got some firepower. A bit of a, a round-up from uh, Dave from Karaka. Good morning, Smithy. Good to see a bit of rugby again. It's frustration, frustrating how they keep the ABs out of action at the beginning of a comp for coaches and fans, and yes, looks like Moana Pacifica will struggle. Hope uh, they don't drop their heads. Uh, did I see the England game uh, with Scotland? Uh, and Dave feels that uh, Eddie Jones' days might be numbered there. And Ireland looked very good. Uh, France are a bit patchy over Italy as well. Uh, hi, Smithy. What Kelly Slater did is unbelievable. Uh, that was 30 years, 30 years since he won his first pipeline title. Staggering. It, it is absolutely staggering. Uh, hi, Smithy. Um, have you talked about England-Scotland uh, rugby game and the New Zealand referee? Well, uh, John's just come in with that. Uh, and uh, John Day, uh, you just had a little look at that uh, just to um, rejig yourself of, of what, what happened there. And uh, I don't think there's been any complaints uh, outwardly about Ben O'Keefe's decision there with that penalty try. 
No, no, and the game was kind of on the line at that point. Scotland were down 17-10 and then a cross kick out to their right winger and out on the wing for England, of course, was a hooker where they like to hang out sometimes, Smithy, but he got caught out. So mm. the ball was sailing almost over his head, so the hooker jumps up and bats it into touch on purpose, which you cannot do in rugby union. Of course, you can do it in rugby league, but as soon as you do it in rugby union, you get penalised uh, and yellow carded and the uh, Scottish winger was right there. So if the English hooker didn't do what he did illegally, the Scottish winger would have scored. There's no doubt about it, in my mind, from just watching it then. So I back Ben O'Keefe fully. Uh, and Scotland, what a win. And they've retained the Kolkata Cup. So a great start to the Six Nations there. And if Justin Langer can lose his job uh, from winning a World Cup and beating England 4-0, how the hell has Eddie Jones still got his job, Smithy? Yeah, well... It's a really interesting point, and we shall be bringing that up with Ian Healy uh, after 11 o'clock, and he'll be right across this because uh, he knows a lot of the people that are involved uh, and uh, just how badly, how badly can this go wrong when you do your job um, in terms of results. It's got to be pretty ugly behind the scenes, so uh, we'll see what we can find out from the legendary Heels very shortly, and uh, we'll have a multi for you too on this national holiday. The voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, I got a bit brave and took uh, five options on four. Friday for our weekend multi, but uh, they went astray, horribly astray, right from the outset with my trusted Phoenix Suns were beaten by the Atlanta Hawks, so uh, that didn't do us any good. And then Manchester United were beaten by Middlesbrough in a penalty shootout over the weekend to get knocked out of the FA Cup. That didn't help either. So, And the Northern Brave, well, they're still waiting for it to stop raining, I think, uh, at uh, Eden Park on the Outer Oval, or the Kennards Higher Community Oval, as they call it now. Uh, at the moment, it seems uh, there's a halt in play there, and not surprising because there's rain around the whole country. So today we're uh, standing at 8-8, eight eight, uh, 8 wins, 8 losses since we've come back in the new year. At Dallas Mavericks uh, to beat Atlanta today at a buck 71 uh, in a football match which we played uh, fairly early tomorrow morning, uh, Athletic Club Bilbao to beat uh, Espanyol at uh, $1.53. Also today the Denver Nuggets to beat Brooklyn at $1.26 and the Illawarra Hawks to beat uh, SEM Phoenix, uh, and that is at $1.85. I understand that game is tonight. So that will be a return of around about $6.10. That would be a nice way to start the week. Uh, Frustrating time over the weekend. Um, um, Tiranikau races abandoned today. Tauranga races abandoned yesterday. Uh, And after one race, New Plymouth races Abandoned on Saturday. Yeah, oh, I know heavy rain. Heavy rain puts a spoiler on most things. Uh, but what a what a weekend of uh, a, a weekend of lackluster uh, and, and and also just a, a horrible outcome for racing over the weekend. Yeah, what happened there? Talk me through the New Plymouth one, especially what a horse actually fell over. <laughs> no, I slipped. It's front legs. I definitely oh. slipped. There's no doubt about it. Took them about three minutes to call it off, which is great. Normally, what you see. Uh, as if a horse slips, uh, the jockeys will send a representation group around to that particular area of the track and they'll poke and prod around and dig it around with the heels on their boots and just say, well, okay. And that 99 times out of 100, when you see that meeting happen, it's going to go. The race meeting's going to go. 
Uh, on this occasion, the stipe went round straight away, saw the length of the slip, uh, looked at the rain above and the track conditions and said, no, nah, I think we'll call it uh, quits right from the outset. So a uh, bit of a concern all round, to be perfectly honest, that uh, racing doesn't need these, uh, these little glitches in the system, particularly too, over a holiday weekend. So that was very, very concerning. Um, right, we're going to talk uh, cricket after the break. We're going to catch up with uh, our great mate across the Tasmanian Healy. Knows Justin Langer pretty well, uh, but he's no longer the Australian coach. What has happened there? You set targets, you achieve targets, you don't get your job back. It's 11 o'clock here at SENZ, and it's time for Karen in the News. The uh, short-term extension was not accepted. He resigned, and uh, man, I think it's probably the, the hottest topic in Australia, and for us in New Zealand, it's a little bit bewildering as well. Good morning to you, Hills. Yeah, g'day, Smithy, and congratulations on your gold medal. Fantastic. Yeah, we're pretty happy. It's the first one we've ever had, so, uh, and we're hopeful yeah, we're of uh, many more, third. mate. We, we got third in that, and we're happy with that. So, well done, mate. <laughs> yeah, we know we're happy about that. Um, but, you know, um, the Justin Langer thing has got a lot of us uh, in New Zealand Ooh. scratching our heads, I've got to say, because you get a... You get a job, you, uh, you, you get a, a task to, to bring a team together and at the end of it you produce um, world championship performances and then you turn around and win the Ashes 4-0, nearly 5. Uh, and then within, within hours, within days basically, you're no longer there. It, it, it's a head-scratcher for us, I'm afraid. Yeah, same here. Like, former players have blown up. You know, Gilly saying it, it was pathetic, ponting, embarrassing... Uh, Mitch Johnson certainly came out hard at Pat Cummins, who were great, great mates, saying it was a gutless performance. So, so yeah, it's really uh, a head-scratcher here too. I think there's been something that just hasn't been managed very well since a series of meetings mid-year last year where everyone emerged saying we're all right, everything's right, and we know what we're going to do from here on in. And yet the disunity uh, continued. Well, it seems there was a meeting, uh, reading behind the scenes, between uh, all the leaders, really. We're talking about Finch and uh, Tim Payne, Aaron Finch, Tim Payne, Pat Cummins, with uh, Cricket Australia at some point to, to air some grievances about that. And is, is that what you're sort of you're alluding to? Yes. Um, and then they had it out with Lang himself. Um, and he came out and sort of said, I really appreciated that, you know. And then, then they go on and have some success. Like magnificent success, T20 World Cup. How hard are they to win? And and then the the Ashes. But um, I don't think you needed a great coach to win the Ashes. In England were underdone and played that way. But but yeah, it's it's certainly a very big surprise and and not a great offer. Now that that they made to him, they sort of managed him out, if you like. But but uh, that whatever was told to Cricket Australia from those senior players must have been bad that's all we're going on and we we haven't been told it doesn't sound like we ever will be told just how bad that feedback was uh, what about the dressing room situation here i mean we don't get cameras into dressing rooms but you know we get them into coaches boxes the players areas and, and things it seemed to it seemed pretty normal looking in from the outside but surely behind the scenes it, to get to this point it must have been pretty bad yeah yeah, it must have been really, you know, eggshelly. Um, 
someone, I think we had John Buchanan on this morning and he sort of meant he was very aware that after the T20 World Cup when Aaron Finch was hoisting the cup and doing his media, there was little or no reference to the coaching of Langer. So uh, it was still festering around there. So, so I'm not sure just how toxic it was, but it couldn't have been good. How, well, you know, you know Justin Langer. I mean, I know Justin Langer as a gritty opener, tough as teak, uh, you know, uh, uncompromising sort of a person. Uh, so I can see there might be friction and he might not back down to too many people from time to time. But um, the Justin Langer you know. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, and there, there's not one quality you mentioned there that would enable you to uh, have him resign for you as a board director, right? So that's why I'm sort of saying there must be more to it. Whether whether he was, that there has been mentions of mood swings, um, you know, under constant pressure, being away from home a lot, COVID bubbles. You, you know, was he a little too flighty at times that the players just didn't like? The, the consistency of his personality might not have been there. I'm not. It must have been something bad like that that has just put everyone on edge rather than be inspirational. Um, but why aren't we hearing about it? Mm. Uh, the Tim Payne thing was uh, was ugly. It's uh, it's quite historic now. But what would do you feel? The same thing would have happened to Langer uh, had Payne stayed in charge and and not um, you know not handed over the captaincy as such to Pat Cummins because it does appear Pat Cummins has been very supportive at all uh, from this side. Uh, I, I just wonder whether Payne's relationship with Langer was better. Yeah, I think it was. Yes, um, and and Langer certainly wanted Payne to stay on as captain. Don't worry, mate. You've been cleared from all that stuff that. He ended up resigning over three years ago, um, so you know. So that relationship was strong, um, and yeah, I, I'd have to say stronger than Pat Cummins. So Cummins, you know, former captains quite like this. That that uh, you know the cap, the captain is standing up for and, and getting a coach that he wants if he want if he wants a coach. Um, will we replace the coach, um, or is three coaches enough? You know that. We, we've got Vaughan, we've got Divinuto, and we've got McDonald still with the team. So you, you know, is three enough to get this team get this team continuing to play? But yeah, Cummins certainly hasn't supported uh, the coaching of Justin Langer. Right. So um, look, long term, let's look at uh, long term. We've got a, a caretaker coach in Andrew McDonald, who's obviously a candidate. Um, we're hearing perhaps Trevor well, Bayliss well, might throw here's one. Here's his head in the one, ring. McDonald yep. has said he doesn't want the full-time job. But was he saying that just in the shadow of Justin Langer to support the head coach? Um, and now he does want it. Um, but he shouldn't be the succession coach if he's one that doesn't want want the full-time job. Or give it to him and, and get going. So we, we've still got work to do in that coaching trio that we've got left. Well, it seems... Uh, I mean, what... What, I guess you've got to look at the whole role in heels, don't you? If, if you don't want a, um, a guy who's going to be powerful within the group and within the dressing room and, and um, obviously at times show anger, etc., if you don't want one of those type play, uh, coaches, what are you looking for? I mean, we, are we just trying to keep the players happy here? Well, um, you're looking for a coach that's relevant to the stage of, 
of the team. So this team's pretty independent. I, I think we're going to lose some serious senior players soon, and we we might have to go back to what we had. But yeah, yeah Pat Cummins is going to needs to work that out um, now moving forwards. Uh, what is the role of the person we're putting in in here? What do I need and what do I want? And that's why former captains like Ian Chaplin, Mark Taylor, think it's a good thing that Cummins has got what he's what he wants. Um, so not so much. Um, uh, unfortunate for Langer. Okay, so what now for uh, Justin Langer? We're hearing rumours about uh, a possible straight-out jump the fence, go through the dressing room door to England. Well, I'm pretty sure he, he'd like to do that. Uh, you know, England better uh, canvas everyone maybe a little better than Cricket Australia did. But, but yeah, that's certainly been talked about. Strauss has left the door open for those sorts of discussions to happen. Gee, long time away, high pressure, high pressure job. England, he's jumping into another fire. That's for sure. If that if that does happen, but certainly been done plenty of times before by Australians going over there. Trevor Bayliss being one of them, Rod Marsh one, uh, Troy Cooley. So mm. so we've done that before. Um, uh, you know, hopefully he can get enough a little breathing space, get get some months to reconnect with the family he, he's been away from the family since early november so because of the border closures of wa so you know they hopefully sit and reflect for uh, long enough before he jumps anywhere yeah exactly and of course if mcdonald doesn't want uh, the gig full-time in terms of australia we're, we're hearing um, maybe trevor bayless maybe jason gillespie yeah any other candidates so would it be a, an australian does it have to be an australian from your point of view um, well, I don't. By the sound of it, it's not going to be a terribly challenging job. The, the senior players are going to take it on much, much more. So, yeah, I, I don't think we have to go looking for a super coach or anyone that's been uh, very successful and credentialed at the moment. It, it's time to bring the pathway through into the into the top coaching job um, before we need a, a more skilled coach in the nearish future. When the likes of David Warner go, Steve Smith. Uh, those quick bowlers start to start to get injured a bit. We're, we're going to need some Nathan Lyon might be finishing, you know, within three years. So yeah, there's, there might be a bit of work to do in the future. So get someone ready to do that. Uh, Hill, it's been great catching up with you for your insight on that, mate. I know it's a pretty ugly episode, particularly on the back of a, such a, a wonderful winning time for Australian cricket, where they've surged up the rankings and pretty much everything. It's quite. A, it, it's it, that's why we're. Uh, it's it's quite a hard to handle, to be fair. But uh, thanks for enlightening us, mate. Um, and uh, we'll catch up shortly, hopefully. Yep. Yeah, cheers. We uh, can get out there, Australia. The and there's no need. See you, mate. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we've uh, been guilty of that on this side of the Tasman as well at times. So, so uh, yeah, Ian Healy, former great Australian wicketkeeper commentator, um, and just as baffled as as a lot of people, I'm sure, as to what had happened. But um, my understanding, John, it can only be uh, that he is not at all liked around the team or around the dressing room. And it can only be because he's too um, hard-natured, hard I guess, too hard on, the, on those individuals. They don't like it these days. Uh, they don't like being ruled with an iron fist. And uh, quite clearly, um, you know, that was his character. He's a tough little cookie. Um, but, uh, man, I tell you, 
What a mess. What a mess. Yeah. Like he, Ian Healy there saying just the consistency of personality was a problem for the players. But what they confronted him before the T20 World Cup actually sat down with him and said, mate, these are the things we don't like about you. He went, great. Thanks for telling me that, guys. It's great to have it out in the open. And then they just continued to be upset with him anyway. So I just don't understand this, Smithy. They obviously clearly did not want him and won the T20 World Cup and the Ashes almost in spite of Justin Langer and didn't want to give him any credit, especially at the T20 World Cup, for doing that. So just amazing how personalities can just break down at that highest level of sport. And even when they tried to reconcile it, still they couldn't. Uh, So just an absolute breakdown in in communication and in personalities. They're painting themselves into a bit of a corner here. Uh, The players as well, from my point of view. You've got to perform now. You're under real pressure. You got rid of uh, the coach that uh, brought these titles home to uh, Australia. This is the guy that fixed it after Sandpaper Gate, etc. Uh, you know, tried to repair the image of the game from outside for all intents and purposes. Uh, he had done that, and that's uh, through the way of his methods. The team has performed well on the park, um, and all of a sudden you don't want him. And no one will quite say exactly why you don't want him. It can clearly only be it's because you don't like him and you feel uncomfortable with him being around. It's as simple as that. It's not like you don't like his methods or the way he goes about things. It's, it's a personality thing, clearly. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, man, you've got yourselves under pressure here because you're at the top. You go downhill from now under your um, standing coach or the next coach, your performance goes downhill, your record goes downhill. What next, Pat Cummins? What next, Steve Smith, who's his deputy? Um, you can bet your bottom dollar they've pretty much all bought into this. You're not hearing much support for Langer, are you really? No, no, not at all, apart from former players who liked that gritty, determined, hard-nosed sort of style. This is my way, this is the way you do it, do it. Uh, Gets results. I mean, just thinking about the role of a head coach in international cricket, Smithy, um, are they man-managers then? Uh, They're not teaching anyone how to play cricket. I'm just looking at New Zealand's uh, coaches like Gary Stead, not not a raging success as a black cap, not a yell at people and do it my way or the highway. Mike Hesson, the same, wasn't even a New Zealand cricketer, just a good man manager. Um, was it Steve Rickson during the 90s? Not even a New Zealander, didn't play test cricket to my knowledge. Um, are, are you just looking for man managers uh, in terms of international head coaches now? Well, Steve Rickson, yeah, he, he played quite a bit of uh, test cricket oh, for sorry. Australia. He's good too. He, no, he's very very good uh, wicketkeeper batsman, so... Um, but yeah, uh, look, you are, and you're, you're looking for, I won't say kid glove type management, you're just looking into a situation where um, you've got to make it easy for them to do their job, and, and you facilitate, you're a facilitator I think as a head coach, because within the various uh, coaching setups, you've got your batting expert, uh, you've got your fielding expert, you've got your bowling coach, so what you are really there to do is to create an atmosphere, uh, and also to bring it all together at the right time so everyone can do their job when it comes to the crunch. So that, that's what you do. So you're an organiser. Uh, you look uh, behind the scenes at people's moods or their confidence levels, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you facilitate also with the team selectors and, and you, you look around those uh, areas as well. And, you, and by and large, you have to have a very good relationship with the captain. If you haven't, then you've split the dressing room right from the outset. And the very lack, I mean, we're talking about Pat Cummins, who's only been around five minutes. Sure, he won the he Ashes, and as Hill said, um, uh, how good a captain did you have to be to win the Ashes, uh, to be honest, because England were that poor. 
So that uh, it's interesting to I kind of sense that Heels was a bit of a Justin Langer supporter there. Uh, he'd know him pretty well in that. And of course, he's been brought up on those uncompromising standards. They had a very hard coach way back in our day called Bob Simpson. They pulled him back in to fix things. Tough man. Very tough man. Uh, and Australians sometimes react well to that. But currently, uh, this crop obviously don't. It's 11.21 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, the Winter Olympics is uh, really up and running now. Of course, we've had that great success uh, through to our Zoe. And now uh, New Zealand is in action today at 2.30pm, not that far away actually. Alice Robinson in the giant slalom qualification, run number one. The second run is at uh, 7.30 tonight. Uh, Margot Hackett. Uh, is in the freestyle skiing big air qualification run. Uh, there's three of those runs. That starts at 2.30 as well. Uh, 6.30 tonight, Ben Barclay, freestyle skiing, the big air qualification, runs one, two, and three. And Finn Billis, uh, of course, was one of our flag bearers, was uh, Finn. Uh, he's freestyle uh, skiing big air qualification as well in the same event. So, uh, John, that uh, is keeping us all interested uh, at the moment. So, um, yeah, uh, it was great. It was great actually that you, that you got that interview with uh, with Sean. Sean Sinnott. Uh, they were nervous. They were going down to the fan zone. Man, it all worked out perfectly for them. Did it what? Yeah, it was cool catching up with him on Friday. And lucky for us, he was sober, Smithy, because he wasn't by about 6.40 last night when he was on the news on News Hub. Uh, and they interviewed him. And I always feel sorry for parents uh, because they're not media trained. They're just parents. They've just watched their daughter win a gold medal. The bubbles were out. And uh, he unfortunately left a couple of F-bombs uh, slip out which really? is, yeah, on live TV, oh, yeah. uh, which is... Totally understandable, uh, but I just feel sorry for him this morning. Maybe he's waking up with a bit of a hangover going, geez, did I actually say that on national television <laughs> last night? But his daughter also uh, let one drop on her Instagram when she um, won the gold medal. First thing she did, whipped out her phone, which I, she must carry in her pocket while she's going down the slopes and made an Instagram post of what the beep uh, and that was her reaction. So the Sinnets, uh, the Sadowski Sinnets, clearly absolutely wrapped and, and can't believe the history that they've made. And I think that's cool, Smithy. You know, we're all just Kiwis. We're all just hanging out on Waitangi Day yesterday. Sure, have a couple of bubbles and say how you really feel. Don't tone it down. I thought it was great. Yeah, no, fair enough too. Uh, I, I must confess I didn't see that. Um, I might uh, try and dig it out actually later in the day and just have a look at it, but uh, you know, he's, uh, as you say, they would have been gone for it. And why not? What the realisation of a dream for your kid, the sacrifices uh, that the parents make in this particular regard. I've, I've seen a photo of, uh, there's a fair few of them, um, the uh, Sadusky Sinnets, I think there's uh, four or five in the group there that I've seen in a photo. So, And why not? Uh, go for it. You can't be there. And uh, I, I'm afraid when you're, you're in the media, you pay your money, you take your chance when you ring people and ask them to do things. Um, that is their prerogative, uh, to be fair. And it's also the same, John, when you have, you run a uh, sports quiz as well. Uh, and that's what we're going to do right now. Uh, so uh, dial 0800 150811, 0800 150811, uh, your chance, your first chance for the week to pick up 50 bucks. Uh, John McNeil with the news. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. He is top class at his job, I'm not, that's why you missed the start of this, uh, but it is stumped by Smithy, and how good was Friday, Smithy, when we gave away 200 bucks to Andy? 
Yeah, I hope Andy turned it into 500. I really do. It's, uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, actually. I enjoyed the Louis, the caller Louis, too. He thought Wayne sprang <laughs> oh, yeah. up with so much confidence. Yeah, he thought he was yeah. going to win the World Cup, didn't you? Yeah, uh, and blew it. <laughs> blew it on netball. Oh, he absolutely did. He thought too much about it, and he just didn't deliver at all. Stump first ball, and yeah, we gave away that 200 bucks, which had quadrupled jackpotted. So we're back to just our normal 50 bucks from the TAB today and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. If you get the third question right, they are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And we have Jared from Christchurch. G'day, Jared. G'day, John. Uh, how are you going? Good to be back again. Yeah, yeah, mate. Great to have you back again. Uh, have you got a holiday today? I have, and I'm making the most of it, doing a few uh, jobs around the house before going back to work tomorrow. Oh, mate, perfect. So what needs done? Everything? Oh, yeah, where do you start? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm lucky for me. It's yeah. been raining up here in Auckland, so I just threw my hands up in the air yesterday to my partner and said, can't do anything today. Sorry, love. Just on the couch for me today. So you can win some money on this public holiday, though, observed. Uh, if you get three questions right, you choose your category first, though. So cricket, tennis, and netball is still around. So which one of those do you like? Oh, with Smithy uh, on the show, we've got to go uh, cricket, eh? Cricket, why not? Take him on at his best. What do you make of this whole Justin Langer thing? Yeah, quite interesting. I, I just listened to uh, an interview with um, Eel, and uh, yeah, he, he's uh, he was an abrasive cricketer uh, when he played, and I think uh, he, he's obviously quite abrasive as a coach. So yeah, um, players were spoken, eh? Yeah, yep, it's the way it is these days. Players don't like you, you yeah. get turfed. Easier to replace one coach than 11 players. Anyway. Yeah. Question number one, Jared, for you on cricket. What is the name of the New Zealand cricketer who finished with a test average batting of 65.73? Oh, oh. yeah, a nice easy one to start off there, John. <laughs> Just easing into it on Waitangi Day Observed, yeah. 65. Um, hell of an average. Yeah, that's hell of an average. Uh, one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Chance for a stumping, Smithy. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get this. Oh, I should, shouldn't I? Uh, I was thinking Rodney Redmond, uh, because Rodney Redmond mm. got a 100 and then a 50. Uh, but I think that would be too many. He got a 100 and then a 50 and then never played again. <laughs> uh, right, so we're looking at someone uh, relatively recent, I would think. I don't know, I'll go, I'll go Roger Twos. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was Stuart Dempster. He averaged 65.73, oh, only played 10 tests, um, but hell, not a bad record from Stewie Dempster way back in the day. Was he around World War Two times, Smithy? He coached me, that's how old he is. <laughs> um, so I didn't even know his bloody batting average, how pathetic is that? Um, no, he he, he, he played in the, our very first test team, etc., and he was very highly regarded, but completely and utterly out of my mind. Stupid. Anyway, here we no, go. That's all right. You're still alive then, Jared. Question number two. Buell. Yeah. Who was the first New Zealander to play 200 one-day internationals? 
was it Stephen Fleming? One of the worst things uh. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. Chance for redemption, Smithy. I'm tempted to go Daniel Vittori. I'm also tempted to go Chris Harris. Yeah, I'm going to go Daniel Vittori. I'm going to go Daniel Vittori. Daniel Vittori. One of the worst things Ooh. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, game. your 50-50s never go well, Smithy. It was Chris Harris. He was the first man to play 201 Day Internationals for New Zealand, which means, Jared, you're on to question number three. Get it right, you win all the prizes. The question is... Well. Where in New Zealand would I be if I was playing cricket at Molyneux Park? Alexandria? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Gee, Central yeah. Otago is a hub, isn't it? And well done to you, Jared. You won 50 bucks from the TAB and Sleep Drops Daytime <laughs> Revive. Try New Zealand's uh, sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages and sleeping challenges, but read the label. Take as directed, Jared. Well done, mate. Oh, that's bloody champion. I'll, I'll get on uh, the grass at uh, Rangiora, I think, today. Uh, have, have, have a punt now. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Good on you, man. Enjoy yeah. it, Jared. Thanks very much. Congratulations. I, will, I won't sleep tonight thinking about that Stewie Dempster answer. But well done, mate. You got the prize. You got, Thanks very you much, got the prize. Well, well done, man. Have a good day, mate. Re- remainder of your day. Do those jobs. Uh, keep everyone happy. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, the story. Can I tell you a little bit more about um, uh, the guy, Louis, who rang the other day? I, oh, yeah. I had a bit of follow-up with uh, this guy, Louis, because he is known to me. So I had to uh, say that out, out in the open, this guy, Louis. Uh, he flew from Auckland to play for Central Hawks Bay at the weekend, which is his 100th appearance, 100th appearance playing for Central Hawks Bay and got a golden duck. Oh, 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 oh Louie, no. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that is my understanding of his uh, trip to Central Hawks Bay to play at Onga Onga um, and his 100th appearance. Uh, he got a golden duck. There you go. We've seen it with the Black Clash and stuff like that, just mixing high-profile sport with kind of mucking around at the same time. Does it work for you? It's, it's entertainment. This is part of an entertainment package as well for television viewers. And, of course, there's a lot of people think Bill Murray is absolutely brilliant in America. Uh, so to have him on television at any stage, whether he's um, you know taking the mickey out of the golf tournament itself or uh, himself or other people around, he's a genuine entertainer. And there is a market for that. Uh, and I, I do agree with that. Uh, but when it comes to this particular stage of the tournament, uh, when the big money's up for grabs on the Sunday afternoon, as it is in America, I don't think there's room for the Bill Murrays. And, I, I, you know, he, he's, uh, whether he's playing or not, I don't know today, but he's certainly not uh, been visual in the, the coverage I've been able to keep a half an eye on. So I, I totally I, I take that into account. But Pro-Ams are necessary because Pro-Ams bring money in uh, because teams are sponsored People pay money to play with professionals. Uh, and they're all part of the, the picture. I mean, you, you ask John Hart and, and Michael Glading and those people that organise the New Zealand Golf Open and, and the Pro-Am is such a big part of it. You get celebrities to play, they don't pay anything, and then you get the businessmen to play with those celebrities and a pro, and you're probably charging them, I don't know, for two or three days. You might be looking at the thick end of uh, five to $10,000 for a ticket. Wow. Uh, and it pays. Simple as that. It, it pays. Yeah. So, you gotta, you got to have it. 
I just got, guess I'm worried that th- just the novelty wearing off in sport, like I guess we we love these things when they first happen. Maybe for two or three times we can love it, but just if you keep on you know, pushing it out there too much and the people start turning against it, it's not the golden goose, is it, of sport, is adding celebrities or adding a bit of fun. It would have worked for some years, but maybe it won't work forever. So just something to keep no. an eye on, I think, when it comes to our fight for life and our black clash and everything. We th- all think it's great now. Uh, but I think a rest is good sometimes when you're talking these types of things. Yeah, sure does, mate. Uh, we've got a text in from Jordan. Uh, hi, Smithy. Zoe for Supreme Alberg Award. I'm calling it now. It'll be interesting to see if they recognise snowboarders as they are looked down on by the traditional skiers. I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that there was a bit of an elitism in there yeah. uh, looking at the, the, the snowboarders. Um, oh, interesting. Well, well, of course, Zoe can't win the ones that are coming up, because uh, this is uh, a different calendar year. But surely, surely she's going to be seriously in the mix. I know we, we tend to look at these things and we get a bit knee-jerky and something else happens later in the year and we forget. Surely not. Surely not, Zoe. Yeah, no, nah, lock it in already. I think the TAB would have closed the market on it, Smithy. Two weeks games, gold medals is enough already, but add to that an Olympic Games gold medal, and she'll probably medal in the big year too, so you're looking at four elite medals at the peak of her powers, and I get what people are saying, uh, snowboarding was the muck around sport, uh, it's only been at the Olympics, I think this is the third slope style event that's been at the Olympics, so only since 2014 has slope style been actually at the Games, but man, what she was doing in the end, when you, the men were straight afterwards, and there didn't seem to be a great difference to my untrained eye to the men and the women, and I think that's a massive, massive thing. Snowboard's got going for it as well. That the men's competition isn't a whole lot different to the women's. They're both very good at what they do. So why aren't they combined? Yeah, I think they'll probably will get towards that point, Smithy. Uh, from my untrained eye, maybe the men could spin one more time or half a time more than the women. Um, but I'm sure as we get on, um, yeah, we might see them combined. Interesting. Uh, okay, we'll take a short break here. When we come back, I think we'll try to get uh, uh, maybe a visit to the TAB to catch up on, on what's uh, in the marketplace today. 11.51. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. 11.56 and we're joined by Paul Mawati from the TAB on this holiday Monday. And uh, Paul, uh, for the TAB point of view, but for racing's point of view, very disappointed all those uh, cancelled meetings over the weekend. Yeah, it hasn't been the best of weekends, to be fair. And look, the, weird, the weather's played a big part in it, uh, to be fair, especially with Tohir and Ikau today, uh, another abandoned meeting. And, of course, we had, uh, what was it, New Plymouth and uh, Tauranga as well. So it's been a tough, tough few days for the uh, racing industry. So um, fortunately, we've still got some harness racing today down at uh, Rangiora. Uh, we've got a bonus back promotion on the first two races at Rangiora, and I'll let you know the uh, best backed in both of those races. Uh, the favourite in race one, Unico Vacanza, uh, 240 into 180, very well backed there to start things off. And then in race two, uh, the second favourite, uh, number 12, Watch Me, uh, driven and trained by Katie Cox, 550 into 450. They're the two best backed in the first two races, both of which are bonus back races. And we've got a $10,000 guaranteed first four on all races at Rangi Order Harness today. There's a full round of uh, NBA action as well, Paul. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, a full card of games. Already seen a few uh, over and done with. Uh, Dallas Mavericks take on the Atlanta Hawks in about oh, 10, 15 minutes' time. Uh, we've got a same-game claim promotion on that uh, Mavericks-Hawks game. The Dallas are $2.02 to win the game. Hawks $1.76. Uh, and then later on in the afternoon, uh, Boston are in Orlando taking on the Magic. Uh, Boston, big, big favourites here at $1.20. Uh, and the Clippers... Uh, and one of the matches of the round take on the Bucks. The LA Clippers are at two thirty. Milwaukee Bucks at a dollar fifty-eight. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Uh, enjoy uh, the rest of your holiday Monday if you can. Paul Moati there from uh, the TAB. Uh, what we're going to do after twelve o'clock is have a bit of a, a round table over what we think the Black Caps uh, test squad will be, and we invite you to join in. Call us uh, on oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Uh, who do you think uh, should be included in the Black Caps? Bearing in mind, probably, almost certainly, no Kane Williamson, uh, no Ross Taylor, definitely. So, what do we do with this batting lineup? Uh, do we ask people to take more responsibility a little bit further up the order? Uh, who do we go to to fill those two important holes: the three, uh, the three slot, the four slot, uh, and uh, maybe the five slot? Where do we go there, and what do we do uh, with our wicket-keeping situation, our spin bowling situation? So, please. If you've got uh, any thoughts on that at all, give us a call 0800 150811 um, or text us on 8833 if you prefer that as well. Certainly we will uh, read them out as we go through our extended show this afternoon, finishing up at uh, 2 o'clock. Normally we'd be finishing now, John. Uh, yeah. No, uh, we're going to box on. Um, I just heard um, AJS Patel hasn't been playing for CD lately. CD? He's still CD, isn't he? Um, with yes. a calf strain. Um, I'm just wondering right. whether they're keeping him on ice, uh, knowing that they may need him, or whether um, you know it's just precautionary, uh, or whether it's serious, or whether he's been ruled out. So maybe that's another spanner in the works, Smithy. No announcement on uh, his availability at this point, so we, we assume at that point that he is available if we have told that he isn't. So uh, if you're thinking of putting him in your squad of 15, that is, folks, your squad of 15, 0800 150811. And tell us about any new players you'd like to see given an opportunity. It's midday here on Waitangi Day. And John McNeil coming up very shortly with the news. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 12.03 here on SENZ. Good afternoon to you. Uh, just a golf update now. Uh, Jordan Spieth still leading, uh, playing the 17th at AT&T Pebble Beach a Pro-Am Tournament. Uh, but he's been joined by uh, Tom Hogue, a professional, uh, 32-year-old professional, uh, not, obviously not as well known as uh, Jordan Spieth, but putting a lot of pressure on him. They're both uh, playing the 17th as we speak. Uh, Bo Hosler is uh, two shots behind on 16 under. They appear to be... The three chances in this particular PGA event. And my congratulations go to uh, John McNeil for reading that news bulletin with absolute, absolute class. I wouldn't have been able to get through with it myself. So, um, John, uh, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Uh, encouraging people to call through uh, and uh, talk to us maybe uh, about the Black Caps cricket team. So, I'll give you my 11. And uh, then you can perhaps uh, add whoever you like into that or disagree. I'd really like conversation on it if you're prepared to. 
Uh, Latham, Young, Conway, Nichols at four. Henry Nichols moving from five to four. Daryl Mitchell coming in as Mr. Fixit. Uh, great, great character. I think ideally suited to any job you give him, but like him at five. Uh, to link with Blundell in the tail, and the Blundell bats at six. Ravindra, you've got to see uh, his continued development, I think. Um, if uh, he's going to be a test player, he's going to have to play pace very well and certainly going to get a lot of pace when you play uh, against South Africa. We've got uh, Jamison, obviously, at eight, Wagner at nine, Southie at ten, and Bolt at eleven. My other four players I'd have uh, around the scene because they have to have that are Matt Henry, Ajas Patel, Dane Cleaver, and I'd go uh, a roughy to learn uh, with uh, if you get a young guy, an impressionable guy. Um, we've got the, the best pace bowling attack we've probably had as a unit uh, and put Ben Sears in there with some pace to learn. Uh, to get rub shoulders with those guys and learn and uh, we've got Matt Henry as well there as well. So I, I'd be thinking, you know, particularly with Hagley is, is looking at bowler friendly, a green pitch for the first test match anyway uh, and fight fire with fire. So that, John, is uh, my particular lineup. Yeah, um, and a notable absence, I guess, is a guy a lot of people have been talking about to maybe slot into that middle order, um, Glenn Phillips, Smithy. Uh, he didn't have a great time of it in this latest Plunkett Shield game. He faced six balls before getting out, out LBW to Southie for a duck. Um, so you're not carrying any batting cover apart from your backup wicketkeeper. So I think you've got... Matt Henry and Ben Sears is the pace bowling backups. Ajaz is the spin bowling backup. And then uh, Dane Cleaver will be your wicketkeeper and top order batting uh, cover. Yep. Don't have a problem with that. Dane Cleaver in that order at all. Um, I, I think he's very accomplished. He's batted pretty much every spot for Central Districts. He's a bit of a floater. Um, so uh, I think he's more than capable there uh, of uh, filling that slot there. If yeah. I was going to have another specialist batter around, I might go for Hamish Rutherford, who's had a pretty good season thus far. Uh, Glenn Phillips, uh, it's not his fault, but uh, Auckland have only just started their four-day campaign because of COVID issues. So Glenn Phillips hasn't had the opportunities to get himself into great form. Um, so therefore, you'd just keep, uh, you'd keep, probably, um, you'd probably keep him out and get him some more cricket under his belt. I think I'm, I'm not quite sure yeah. he's in the right kind of form. Uh, Jordan Spieth just uh, bogeyed the 17th hole, so he's now one behind. So Tom Hogue. Um, is now the official leader, 18 under at the AT&T Pebble Beach. So, yeah, John, that, uh, in terms of uh, the cricket, well, I thought we might have a few callers or some texters in because often we do when we come to pick our uh, our best sides. Yeah, holidays, you just never know when people are going to chime in. But I'm just thinking that it's quite a good position we're in when we're looking for backup wicketkeepers when a guy like Dane Cleaver has got 63 matches under his belt with almost 4,000 first-class runs at an average of 42. And then a guy like Cam Fletcher, who's played a similar amount of games, uh, 69 first-class matches and over 3,000 runs at an average of 37. So, like, normally we're scraping the barrel, Smithy, but those are some tidy uh, first-class records those guys have both got. Yeah, look, I'm I, I, both good glove men. Both very good glove men. Um, and, you know, I think that... It's time we started to think about a second glove man. Uh, we always had Blundell, of course, to cover BJ Watlings in the last couple of years. So we were, it's the kind of area we didn't like to focus on too much. But now I, I genuinely believe that it's time that we need to. And, and I think Blundell has to feel that there's a bit of pressure on him. He's under-delivered with the bat. I think his keeping's been adequate, but he's under-delivered with the bat uh, since he's been a keeper batsman. So 
um, he might not have been able to, to take to that role as, as readily as we thought. Yeah. But he certainly was fully deserving to be the next cab off the, off the rank. But we've got to maintain those, those standards and those pressure within the side. So uh, either of those two, I think, um, Fletcher or Cleaver, it might just be the Central District's man and me that has uh, pushed me towards Cleaver. Well, Cleaver's numbers are better, so fair yeah. enough. Uh, and we all are we all in with Ruch and Ravindra now? Does this mean Mitchell Santner, if he, if he wants to make the test team, he has to do something remarkably special? Because with the bat at the moment, I mean, he went off in the Super Smash final and in that four-day match, he's making half centuries. But I guess the problem is still there, Smithy. He doesn't take enough wickets in test match cricket or first-class cricket for you? No, he doesn't. Um, he's not a threatening enough bowler for test cricket. And, you know, if you're just looking to try and end up and, and bowl quite a few overs while your, your quick bowlers recover uh, and, and get their energy levels back, yeah, sure, there's uh, a possibility there. But he has to be prolific with the bat for me to do that. You know, you, you, you've got to be really, really good. He's got a test 100 and his form of late is good. And funnily enough, I wouldn't be surprised to see his name come out of the hat in his 15-man squad. But I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's a progressive step. I really don't. I think he's a white ball cricketer at this point uh, until he, uh, still relatively young, um, and until he can actually get some more revolutions on the ball and spin people out. I mean, we've got to encourage that. So, And Ravindra, I don't think he's anywhere near a test bowler either. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the reason I've put him in there is because I think that he is, um, you know, <clears throat> he's someone that they've earmarked for the future and you, you're not going to achieve anything by not having him around. He should be in the mix, and I'm pretty confident he will be. Yeah, and a good enough batsman to put straight into your 11. I know you've got him at seven, uh, so I guess that was kind of the thing. Do you pick Phillips, a guy who's kind of out of form for the middle order and his spin bowling's probably not up there yet, or keep on plugging away with Ravindra, who was dogged, wasn't he, in India? What? How many balls did he face? Almost 100 balls to score 10 to save a test match for us. Um, pretty good for a young kid, so enough potential there to have him in your starting eleven. He can't learn outside of the eleven and just have him in the squad. Oh, this South African bowling attack is quite accurate. Uh, it's quite aggressive. Uh, it's based around speed, and and uh, they're good. They're very very good. And uh, you know, I think that it's going to be a real challenge for this batting lineup without Caden Williamson and Ross Taylor. Uh, there's uh, a lot of experience gone begging there, so to speak. And that's why I need to have Nichols in it for, I think Henry Nichols has scored runs against South Africa in the past. Um, and, you know, his place is, at this stage is, is not under threat. But he needs to score some runs. He needs for it to, to uh, for own peace of mind, I think. And I'd like to see him accept that responsibility at number four. Uh, that gives us three left-handers in the top four, which mm. uh, I can't remember too much back, back. Oh, he's back in the days of Wright, Edgar and John Fulton Reid. Uh, bang, 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 three left-handers in a row. So uh, we, we've, we've had a few of them, but no. I, 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 Ravinder at seven for me, it's a learning spot. It's a, it's a learning spot where you can contribute, um, but you can contribute perhaps without that, that, that pace and bounce that is likely with the new ball. And Therefore, I think he's susceptible at the top of the order, and I, it's, it's a bit of a Ken Rutherford uh, in yeah. the West Indies for me to put a young kid up against the South African bowling attack at the top of the order. Yeah, so all will be revealed, Smithy, at 5am tomorrow morning. I don't think we'll be up quite that early, but we're back on regular hours from uh, 9 till 12 tomorrow, and I'm sure we'll have, if not Gary Steed, uh, someone from that Black Cap squad when it's named tomorrow morning. OK, we'll do that then. It's 12-12 here on SENZ. Football next, uh, with a couple of goals under his belt. We're going to be talking to uh, Joshua Sotiro, uh, hero for the Phoenix last night.
with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Can Soterio take his opportunity this time? Soterio saved by Curto, but it gets there. And Soterio with another chance to seal the deal for Wellington Phoenix. MacArthur, we've seen them caught out a couple of times today, and that is a cool, calm, collected and very confident finish from Josh Soterio. So that is it. Wellington rise from the bottom of the table. Back-to-back -back wins for the Knicks for the first time this season in the Isuzu Ute A-League. Well, that is tremendous news, isn't it? Uh, the Phoenix there have now soared to seventh place on the A-League football ladder following that uh, win over MacArthur Football Club, who had been uh, going pretty well themselves, I think it's fair to say. And we're joined now by the man of the moment, really, the bloke who scored uh, both uh, those goals in the second half, one in the 71st minute, one in the 77th. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Josh Soterio. Congratulations on a fine performance. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, great to, from your point of view, uh, Josh, to find the back of the net uh, a couple of times last night and an important win, which uh, I, I imagine has given you guys a bit more confidence. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was definitely important. Um, you know, we were coming last, so um, the message was really just to to be positive and get the win and, um, yeah, move up the ladder. And, um, yeah, it was definitely an important win for us and uh, it builds momentum going forward. Just uh, looking at the season to this point, uh, Josh, how frustrating, how tough has it been uh, in the group to get any sort of momentum with uh, things that have been going on around the place? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's lots of ups and downs, but um, you know that's all, it's all part of football. And um, you know, we've got a, a great group of, of players and a great, um, great coaching staff. So you know, we're all in this. We're a family. We're all here together as one. And yeah, that's that's what makes it special, and that's what's going to get get us through over the line this season. Well, you were without uh, Gary Hooper last night, out with uh, a hamstring issue. Uh, so you made the most of uh, those chances. You had uh, a few throughout the match. Uh, didn't quite go your way early on in the piece. Were you thinking it's not going to be your night all at one point? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I was definitely um, disappointed going into halftime. Um, you know, I should have had already uh, two at halftime. But, um, yeah, I was, so I was definitely down. Um, but, you know, the the boys saw me being being a bit down and they told me, you know, um, stay positive. And, yeah, the coaching staff also told me to stay positive and, you know, keep going. And, yeah, I pride myself on on, you know, never giving up and yeah, it really just told myself, you know, I'm going to get chances again in the second half and, yeah, thankfully I got the first one and then, yeah, another one came, which was definitely good for myself and for the team. Absolutely. Uh, Josh Saturio, we're talking to right now, we're two-goal hero for the Phoenix last night. Uh, you had a couple of all-whites uh, back in um, back in duty, uh, Tim Payne, Clayton Lewis last night. Uh, good to have those guys back at the back for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, it's always good when you represent your country. So, you know, congrats to them. And um, yeah, it was definitely important to to get them back. Um, they played played their part definitely into into the team and you know getting us the win yesterday, which was very important for us. Uh, Ollie Sale too, uh, back in goal um, and a, a genuine leader within the within the group there and uh, performing outstandingly last night. Yeah, definitely. He's a um, yeah, great keeper and um, a great leader from the back. Um, and that's, that's very important to us and the way we play. 
Um, and yeah, he did a fantastic job, kept us in the game really, and um, yeah, it was very important for us, as I said, to to get the win. So, whilst um, maybe it could have been uh, could have been four or five uh, that you, that uh, we ended up uh, the Phoenix in, ended up netting, uh, Josh, but but that means that at least the the opportunities are being created, which uh, must delight uh, Ufuk Talay, um, because uh, you want to charge your way up that table. Scoring goals is going to be a high priority from this point onwards. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, as I said, um, disappointing not uh, scoring the chances, but if you look on the positive side, you're getting those chances. So if you're getting those chances, you have, you know, more chances of scoring. So that was also the message from him at halftime to, you know, to, to keep going and not giving up and you'll you'll get rewarded. So um, yeah, we kept that belief as a team and, also myself, kept trying to be positive, and yeah, thankfully it um, paid off in the end. I was very pleased. Okay, let's uh, look at the program coming up. It's going to be quite a busy one because you've got uh, some catching up to do, and that starts uh, with Melbourne victory on Wednesday night. Tell us about uh, that opposition. Yeah, they're, um, they're a great team. Um, we obviously just uh, lost to them in the semis, um, so we're going to get our definitely looking to get our revenge against them uh, in two days' time. Um, and yeah, we've got the momentum now going to the game, so we're going to use it, use it as best as we can and yeah, go for the win, of course. Well, you've got uh, you're going to have to uh, play a lot of games in a relatively short space of time because of the fact that uh, you haven't been able to play some at certain stages, so. Uh, how's the squad looking in terms of, of what you've got ahead? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we've got a lot of games, a lot of catching up to do. I think we have, you know, uh, four games in the next two weeks, I think. So, um, you know, a lot of short turnarounds and um, lots of uh, recovery, which is needed. And, um, you know, we've got a great squad, a lot of depth, and, um, you know, everyone is here to do a job. And, yeah, we'll, we'll try and make the most of it. And, um, yes, go for it. Would you have any idea of the injury to Gary Hooper? Was it is it a long term one, or was it just sort of a precautionary niggle when you, he was forced out? Oh, I'm not too yeah, I'm not too sure. I don't think I'm the yeah the right person to to answer that question. But um, yeah, I hope it's it's uh, not too long of an injury. He's um, you know an important player for us, so um, hope he's back quick in shape and yeah back in the squad. Okay, Josh, well, it's uh, been great talking to you. Congratulations on the two goals uh, last night, and uh, long may they continue, mate. Uh, plenty more in the back of the net. Uh, what we're watching from over here yeah, and hope. showing a lot of interest. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope you keep going. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Yeah, yeah cheers. Uh, Josh Soterio there. Two goals last night um, for the Wellington Phoenix uh, and a performance that uh, John uh, could really have uh, needed perhaps a few more. Uh, but really encouraging. Uh, and if they can back up against Melbourne on Wednesday night, short term, uh, I think they're, they're, uh, they've got a chance of, of real credibility. Real credibility. Yeah, like they, those are games like I've watched Wellington Phoenix a little bit. Those are games that they lose. Like when they don't take their chances, they let uh, Devere, their old captain from last year, got one back. And you just thought to yourself, oh, okay, this is classic mm. Wellington Phoenix here. Miss your opportunities, let the opposition score an easy one. But then they recovered and Soterio found the net twice. Um, really wasn't expecting to play. And all of a sudden got himself a double after missing one of the all-time bad misses as well. Like, 
most most kids would have probably been watching that going, oh, I could have scored that. Uh, so mentally, going into halftime, it's great. I'm great to hear his teammates get around him because his head would have been down. Like they were, it's confidence destroying misses, really. So for his teammates and his coach to get around him, his head's back up in the second half and to score is massive for him, especially if if he has to play a few more games with Hooper out. So big result for the Phoenix, but victory. They're another team, they're another step up, aren't they, on Wednesday night. So we don't get too carried away because we've seen with the breakers, as soon as you win one, you lose one. Uh, it seems with New Zealand teams overseas, Smithy. Well, that was the case last night as well. John, uh, one step forward, one step back for the breakers. They uh, followed up their encouraging Wednesday night victory over the Illawarra Hawks uh, with a disappointing 19-19 uh, 19, 19 point defeat to the Sydney Kings. Now, Kings are usually a fairly useful side, but... That would be uh, a bit of a kick um, in the old solar plexus for the breakers who have now gone win-loss, 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 win-loss in their last half dozen games. So there is a pattern there, but it's not the one they want. No, and it is a kick to the solar plexus. Absolutely. I think that's it. Really, I mean, you've got to have a 50% record, I think, to make the NBL playoffs and the Breakers are 3-12 and 12 midway through the season, still two or three weeks, I think, until they get Tom Abercrombie back and they just couldn't score more than 20 points in any of the quarters last night. Um, yeah, there's over by half-time, really, 51-35 at half-time and then just went into their shells, couldn't get going. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Breakers fans, bad times. And then I see with our other team that's about to start in Australia, the Warriors. I uh, just see a report this morning that uh, Reese Walsh is starting to get homesick. Uh, all the signs are pointing towards this being his last season with the Warriors. Smithy, which is a, a damn shame, I think, playing talent-wise. He's clearly one of the best up-and-coming fullbacks in the NRL and a guy who got out of the Broncos, found a home at the Warriors, and is just probably about to pick up a massive pay packet to go back up to Queensland somewhere, uh, whether that be the Dolphins with Wayne Bennett, uh, the Broncos or the Titans. So not too sure what the future holds for Reese Walsh-Smithy, but I don't think it holds uh, much hope in, in Auckland with the Warriors, so he may never play at home at Mount Smart Stadium. He might never. And if you've got that kind of frame of mind, John, leading into uh, the start of a season, I, and you're the star player, you're, you know, you, you're one of the draw card players. I just wonder as a young kid what your mindset is about this season. You know, is, is this the kind of season you just get yourself through, basically stay as injury free as you can because the big payday or the big carrot um, that uh, you've been offered is just around the corner. There's such a young fellow, we know he's had problems uh, off, um, you know, off the field as well. He's had issues that he's had to deal with there and not good issues either for a young guy in a profile position. So... Looks to have come through that for all intents and purposes. And, of course, he got full support uh, from the Warriors during that particular process, and um, they handled that, I, I think, uh, exceedingly well. But I just wonder about a guy who's um, homesick before the gig even starts. I mean, you know, uh, it seems a bit odd to me that you'd, you'd kind of make that statement. And he's homesick while they're living in Australia, so imagine what he was like if he was living in Auckland, Smithy. He'd probably want out straight away now. Uh, or is yeah. this just his agent saying, hey, Start laying the seed. Start planting the seed. There's three teams in Queensland, including one, uh, with a massive uh, a checkbook that's wide open at the moment with Uncle Wayne running the cutter. Let's just see what we can pick up. Let's just put a wee hook in the water and see which Queensland team we can catch with a big fish and a big pay packet for you. Okay. Well, uh, we've sort of uh, opened uh, opened a line for uh, communication, actually, Warriors fans. 
Double eight double three. What do you make of that from Reese Walsh? Double eight double three is our text number. Uh, are they worrying signs for you? Um, and uh, what are you expecting now? It's not that far away as we start to get look forward to uh, another year of the NRL. Uh, and are we being promised yet another uh, situation whereby we can be hopeful uh, this season? Or are we in the rebuilding phase? Uh, or are we playoff bound again? How many trees will we cut down writing about it? Uh, it's a 12.30 here on SENZ. Then when we come back... SCNZ. I'm not quite sure the significance of that song, but anyway, uh, we'll move right along here uh, and we'll uh, talk some Winter Olympics, uh, hopefully with a, a bit of luck. We just did have a few problems here trying to get hold of our guest extraordinaire, but it was an incredible day yesterday for New Zealand sporting history uh, as Zoe Sadusky Sinnott won this country's first ever Winter Olympics gold medal. Just 20-year-old uh, she is from Wanaka sitting in second place and was the last snowboarder on the mountain in Beijing as she nailed an amazing slope-style run under massive pressure to finish on top of the podium. One of the great aspects of it was the way she handled that pressure. And a man who is there at the Games in China as Sky Sports host, commentator, presenter, a man of many talents, Jeff McTainch. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jeff, on in a really historic time for the Winter Olympics. She was the favourite and she delivered. Yeah, Nihau Smithy, good morning, uh, listeners back home in New Zealand. Yeah, what a phenomenal time to be in China and Beijing for the Winter Olympics. Like it was, I was in, it's hard to describe um, the atmosphere yesterday. I mean, obviously not a lot of Kiwis over here uh, at the moment, but the ones that were, um, you know, witnessed something special, something that had never been done. And, and as you said in your intro, I mean, the composure of 
of, uh, of 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 Zoe um, was 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 beyond her years. I think you know to have done what she uh, was able to do in, in an Olympic final, uh, all coming down to that last run. And you know, speaking to her last night at the medal ceremony, which was an absolute privilege to see the New Zealand flag raised and the anthem played uh, for the very first time at the Winter Games and seeing her stand on that stage. You know, she even said to me in, in that interview, she said, look, I, she's really surprised with herself that she managed to, to stomp that final run to, to win. I mean, it was a phenomenal 1080 was the trick that she, she, uh, she managed to pull off at the end. But uh, every, everyone was saying, all the international media that I've spoken to just could not believe um, how, how much uh, distance and, and height and elevation she got. And, and as I say again, to do it in an Olympic final was was just extraordinary. Julian Marino from the United States was in top spot. Tess Cody, the Australian, was in the medals as well. And then, you know, Zoe, world champion, double world champion, double X Games gold medalist. And I asked her last night, I said, you know, you've won world titles, you've won X Games gold medals, but but what does the Olympic title mean to you? And then she said it's um it certainly um certainly means the most. So Again, you know, it's just extraordinary to think we've never had a Winter Olympic gold medal, but to do it in that fashion, uh, just extraordinary. So we know she can handle pressure. Um, we don't know a heck of a lot of, about her. We know she's ha- handled pressure in the past, and she was the form uh, competitor going into it. Just uh, what kind of little, you know, I mean, she's so young. She's so young for this. I, mm. I just wonder mm. what makes her so so tough. What is it that, that you can perhaps see in her character that we haven't got close enough to yet? Well, her parents met uh, Smithy and Whistler, this, as the story goes, uh, overseas, and she moved to uh, from Australia to New Zealand when she was about six years old, uh, and she had brothers that were right into snowboarding, and Zoe started out as a skier, and her parents, Robin and Sean, managed the, uh, the snow park, which is uh, outside of Wanaka, so Zoe was going there from about the age of eight or nine, and that's when uh, she started snowboarding. And, and she realised at that point that that's what she, you know, she wanted to do. And 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 that's uh, the dream for her then was to to take it as far as she could. So whilst we see her standing on the top of an Olympic podium, as you say, at only the age of twenty, with so many, you know, great years uh, ahead of her in her career, um, she'd already had a long time uh, putting in those yards, and um, she's got such a supportive family, such a good base. Uh, down in uh, in Wanaka with her coaching staff and and um, you know I think it pays to remember as well that whilst New Zealand uh, might not have the record that other countries do at the Winter Olympics, a lot of these young athletes, um, Zoe in particular, are, are competing every day um, overseas in the season with the very best in the world. So when they get to an Olympic Games, as it might not have been the case in a, a case in the past where you turn up and you're not too sure what to expect because you've qualified. She's doing this with the best athletes in the world every day, uh, as I say, on tour. And we're actually in a car at the moment. Me and uh, <coughs> Eve Samad, my cameraman, um, we're off to Yanqing uh, Alpine Ski Centre to see Alice Robinson ski this morning uh, in the giant slalom. First of her two runs today, she's got to run again in the afternoon. Um, so Alice is going to be doing the same thing. And, and, and like Zoe, Alice is has been in great form um, over the years. She won her first World Cup at Solden at the age of 17. Uh, that had never been done before. So, you know, whilst it may raise a few eyebrows for some people that New Zealand athletes are doing well uh, at the Winter Olympics, um, for those, I guess, in, in the know and those that have been following these athletes at the World Cups, at the World Championships, it's probably no surprise. Tell us a wee bit about Alice and uh, the prospects 
uh, we can expect from her today, please? Well, Alice, uh, I mean, she's, she's had three World Cup wins in, in her career in, in giant slalom. She also skis in the Super G, otherwise known as the Super Giant Slalom. That's her event later on in the week. So she'll have two runs today. She'll have a run in the morning, a run in the afternoon in the giant slalom. And the way the giant slalom differs from, say, slalom of the, uh, of the downhill disciplines, there's the slalom, the giant slalom, the super giant slalom, and the downhill, the downhill being the fastest where skiers reach speeds of up to 130k. The slalom is, uh, is a shorter course, uh, more gates. It's, uh, it's, it's supposedly more technical. The giant slalom kind of mixes the two, so it's, it's a fast course. There's uh, less gates, more sweeping turns. And then the supergiant slalom is, is even more is even more faster uh, the course. So, uh, so Alice um, she's coached by Chris Knight and um, and Jeff Fergus, who who have both both been involved smithy with the USA ski team in the past and the great Lindsay Vaughn. So she's been with the International Ski Academy in Queenstown for about the last three or four years, and um, and she's been learning from those guys who, as I say, have been working with the best in the world. Alice. I mean, there's a lot of talk about Michaela Schiffer and the 11-time world champion, the four-time World Cup overall champion from the United States out of Colorado, Michaela Schiffer. And she's only 26. She's a three-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist. And, um, I mean, she's, she's the favourite in these disciplines. But, but uh, Alice Robinson has beaten her at World Cups before. She's, she's beaten her, been at the top of the podium. So, again, um, Alice will go in, uh, I think, as an outside chance of a medal if she can put her best run down in the giant slalom today. Uh, she has a chance. She knows she can beat the best in the world. So it's incredibly exciting, and, and we're looking forward to getting to uh, to Yan Ching and seeing her on course. Okay, we're also uh, told uh, with the schedule that we've got uh, around about the same time, uh, Margot Hackett will be taking part in the freestyle uh, freestyle skiing big air qualification, uh, and later tonight, Ben Barclay and Finn Billis in action. Yeah, absolutely. So they're out the uh, the big air down in, in Beijing and. And again, they're all uh, you know they're all chances I would say of of a reasonably good finish in the big air. Um, you know they've all been working hard uh, back home in New Zealand. Again, all of these skiers uh, ski on the tour. Um, Finn Billis, uh, he earned his first uh, World Cup medal in August 2018. He finished uh, third at uh, the Winter Games New Zealand big air. So he he knows what he can do. Finn finished also seventh at the free ski slope style. Uh, World Cup, and he's also been involved at the uh, the 2019 Ski World Championships uh, when he finished um, fifth place. So he's a talent as well. Margot Hackett, of course, we all know AJ Hackett and what he's done for the extreme sport uh, industry in New Zealand. Uh, so you know she's a chip off the old block, and the fact that she doesn't mind throwing herself uh, around as, as her father does. But um, now looking forward to seeing how they all go at the big year. But it's, it's a great team, and and I think what Zoe's managed to achieve uh, in the in the slope style is going to give everybody um, a massive lift in confidence because, again, as we said at the start, you know, she, she went out there, there was so much pressure on her shoulders, but she just said, look, I'm, I'm going to take this. And I think for all the athletes that are in the village and, and have been around Zoe since she, she picked up that gold medal, it's going to uh, absolutely rub off on them. That's great news. Uh, just uh, overall impressions, Jeff. Uh, you've been to a lot of big sporting events, but uh, from the initial stages of, of these Winter Games... Um, is it everything you, you thought it might be? Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's been great. Like it's, it's a fairly unusual time, obviously, to be to be at a world sporting event like this. Um, but you know, to that end, everything from when we arrived 
all the protocols, Smithy, all the processes have been, um, you know, you know what's expected of you. We're getting tested every day. We're in a, just to give our listeners an idea of, of what the setup is like here, we're in a, a what's called a closed loop uh, system in, in China. So the Winter Olympics here is based on three main centres. So Beijing, where the, of course the opening ceremony was, is where the big air is staged. And then there is a bullet train which um, was launched in time for this Olympics which connects the mountainous region where we are. So the mountainous region consists of Zhangjikau, which is where Zoe won her slopestyle medal. So that's the half pipe where Nico Fortius will be, the slopestyle. And then Yanqing, where we're heading now to see Alice Robinson uh, ski is the Alpine Centre. So uh, usually if you are travelling in a car, it would take you two or three hours to get between those points. Um, certainly it would take you over three hours to get to Beijing, but because of the bullet train, it's linked everything up. So yeah, say so we're in a closed loop, but um, I'd have to say they're putting on a pretty, uh, pretty good show and, and um, you know, we're certainly enjoying it. Well, Jeff, it's been great to catch up with you. Uh, continue to enjoy it, and uh, let's hope you get uh, the chance to report on a lot more New Zealand success. It's been a fantastic start. Uh, cheers, mate. Stay well, stay safe. Yeah, cheers, Millie. Thanks very much. Yeah, Jeff McTainch there, of course, uh, from Sky Sport, who was very, very busy uh, following uh, our athletes around, and uh, what a golden start he had. And to be able to catch up with uh, Zoe last night, uh, must have been absolutely fantastic. We're going to catch up, uh, hopefully, with uh, Nick Kavanagh after uh, the next uh, news bulletin at 1 o'clock. Uh, and uh, he, of course, uh, is the Snow Sports NZ CEO and High Performance Director. What does this mean? What does this mean, our first gold medal in terms of profile uh, and the future? It must be absolutely wonderful news for him trying to grow the sport. Uh, we'll be back shortly here on SENZ. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 12.50 here on SENZ and uh, can confirm that uh, Tom Hogue did win that uh, AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am um, won it by one shot uh, in the end so uh, very big payday for him and uh, of course uh, Jordan Spieth uh, just faltering at the last hurdle uh, for him so uh, not able to hold on uh, for his zillions of fans around the world and uh, uh, it's uh, not always all been beer and skittles, uh, John, apparently at the quarantine side of things for uh, the IOC. Some competitors in Beijing who have tested positive have been placed into isolation, of course, but haven't been treated that well by the look of it. And uh, some reports of, um, in particular, Russian athletes have, have had issues uh, where they just cannot get the right kind of uh, food or, or help that they need. Mm, well, there has kind of been a bit of a cloud like over China. I think everyone's just so stoked that the Olympics is going on anyway that we've kind of turned a blind eye maybe to China's treatment of several people, uh, you know, not just athletes, but just the overall communist regime over there, Smithy. Uh, we think we're just stoked that sport's happening and we're quite keen to keep it separate from politics at this point in time, but that doesn't sound very encouraging. No, a Belgian uh, skeleton racer, Kim Meilermans, uh, actually broke down in tears on social media uh, after being separated from other athletes. Uh, she said it was unbelievable, the, the treatment that she was getting. Um, she uh, only had a single weight plate to use in her quarantine, although she was later provided an extensive equipment, including an exercise uh, bike. So she, she's a bobsledding star, by the way, um, for, you know, to uh, get some training done while she was actually in quarantine, but they basically gave her nothing to do uh, to do that with. So uh, saying that uh, once you get it, they almost forget about you. So 
uh, not a good look at all from that point of view, and the organisers have vowed and declared to do something uh, more about it, uh, because since January the 23rd, more than 140 athletes and officials have tested positive, either arriving in Beijing or within the closed loop set up by the organisers, as what Jeff, Jeff McTanks was just describing to us. Um, so from now on, they're expecting better treatment because basically pretty much everyone that's going to compete or around those competitors has uh, arrived now. So uh, uh, obviously Zoe has, has come good for us, uh, which uh, I guess in a way puts a little bit of heat on Nico Porteous, doesn't it? He, and he was doing his preparation mm-hmm. away from Beijing. Yeah, I was thinking about that myself. It does, does it put more heat on him or less? Because we were expecting a gold medal out of one of them. I mean, both of them would be a bonus, but is he now like, oh, fuel, Zoe's done it. So now I can just uh, ski with a bit of freedom in the half pipe when I get my chance? Or does, it, does he think, oh, geez, Zoe's done it. We both got bronze four years ago. I better match you with a gold as well. Uh, let's hope he does. Mm, let's hope he does indeed. OK, let's uh, take a, a short break when we come back. Uh, we'll have uh, some news, and, and Nick Kavanagh hopefully out of Beijing. It's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 12.59 here on SENZ, uh, so John and I have had a little meeting uh, behind the scenes and decided the next hour, because it's New Zealand Day, Waitangi Day, uh, we shall give away another stump smithy in the next hour, so... Uh, look out for that, probably around about uh, the half-past mark. Uh, we shall do a second edition because to celebrate the holiday of uh, a stump smithy. Another chance to win uh, 50 bucks from uh, the TAB um, and also a chance to win some sleep drops if you're successful. So uh, w- wait uh, out for that particular call time. Um, and uh, we're heading into the news. Uh, really looking forward to talking to uh, Nick Kavanagh about uh, these fantastic uh, young athletes that he is overseeing at the moment, not just uh, not just Zoe Sadusky Sinnott, uh, but uh, Nico Porteous and uh, all these kids. Alice Robinson in action today. Uh, we might ask him about the disappointment of and the care you have to take when uh, you have to leave athletes out, uh, as was the case with uh, young Pierre Hudson as well, disappointed to miss out. So a number of issues to mull over with the CEO of uh, everything to do with snow sport in New Zealand. Nick Kavanagh coming shortly. Meanwhile, it's one o'clock here on Waitangi Day on SCNZ. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. She's looking for the number one spot. Zoe is going to need to beat Julia Marino's 87.68 to claim that number one spot. Our final competitor, our final run. Here we go. Next up, the Kiwi. Zoe Sadowski Senate last run. Okay, perfect. That was a beautiful landing. She's heading to the second feature. Oh, Ten. my goodness. That was a beautiful 1080. Okay, here we go. Back-to-back tens, huge landing in the parking lot down there. All right, this is going to put Julia Marino's first place position in contention right now. And at 92.88, Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott has done it on the final run of competition. She grabs the gold medal. Julia Marino will grab the silver. Tess Cody with the bronze. 
Well, it's 1.04 on Monday afternoon here uh, in New Zealand. Of course, we're uh, enjoying Waitangi Day and we're uh, enjoying it with a special purpose. And uh, that background uh, national anthem, of course, was for Zoe Sadowski's Senate wonderful performance for us. And I'm sure uh, outside of her family would be no more proud uh, person uh, on the planet than Snow Sports uh, New Zealand CEO and High Performance Director Nick Kavanagh, who joins us now from Beijing. Uh, Nick, talk, talk us through your thoughts as you saw that uh, last run unfold. Yeah, good morning, uh, Ian. A, a great result for Zoe, uh, and uh, couldn't be more proud of of her performance and, and the team supporting her, um, both uh, in here in Beijing and back home um, from Wanaka's HQ. So an incredibly proud moment, very privileged to be uh, on the sideline watching um, what is a fantastic young sportswoman doing, New Zealand proud. So you, you, you're on the side of the mountain, obviously, um, and... You know, because she'd, she'd uh, had a mishap on the second run, um, so I guess there was a lot of a lot of tension, of course. And being the last chance too, the last chance saloon, all that pressure. Um, what were your expectations for of her? Yeah, look, I think it was a bit nerve wracking. Certainly, people back home probably were were sitting on the edge of their seat. But um, it's a true sign of the class and expertise of of Zoe. She did this in in twenty uh, twenty one in the World Champs. Um, she she crashed her first two runs and then in the last one put it all down in her final run to secure back-to-back world champion results. So the belief in the team was high that she had the, the quality, she had the run to deliver. And um, yeah, while it was a bit nerve-wracking, there was a, an inner belief that she had had the ability to put down her very best run and that's certainly what she did. So what has it meant to the team as, as a whole? Have you been able to uh, to catch up with some of them? Yes, I have. Yeah, look, it's 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 fantastic, very inspirational, um, and it's really set the tone for uh, everyone to follow for the rest of the games. I'm I'm just on my way up to the Alpine track now to watch Alice Robinson in the GS, and certainly um, Alice and, and Zoe have been chatting overnight, and and it really just uh, puts the team in a in a great space leading into that. And then tomorrow we've got um, you know the big ear guys down in Beijing as well. So the team are amped uh, and really um, take a lot of positivity out of her result and. And hopefully um, that inspires them to, to deliver their personal best. Uh, tell, tell us a wee bit about your role, Nick, because uh, you, you look at most CEOs of New Zealand sporting teams and most of the, 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 those people involved uh, do spend quite a lot of time or the dominant part of their time at home here in New Zealand. So they're easy to contact, they're easy to get around and see. But in your particular role with these young kids, they spend so much of their time away from home. How closely are you able to work with them? Look, I am I'm based uh, predominantly in Wanaka and our, our offices down there, but um, I try and get over overseas to our Northern Hemisphere base a couple of times a year when the borders and COVID allows. But um, we, we operate on a very high trust environment here with Snow Sports New Zealand. We've, we've got a team that spends oh, the best part of five to six months overseas living and training together. So, um, you know, we've got some experts uh, looking after our people, and that's not just coaches. We've got physios, we've got strength and conditioners, uh, mental skills and performance sites over in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's a real team collective effort. And, um, yeah, uh, it's an interesting interesting comment uh, or question you pose. It's from a, from an NSA perspective, um, I'm the one that works remotely uh, over, the, over our summer, over the Northern Hemisphere winter. Um, the majority of our organisation packs up and heads away. So... 
yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting part, but that's, that's the sport that we live in. It's, it's Northern Hemisphere-based, uh, and, um, yeah, the, the crew do very well overseas. Uh, I, you know, I look at the average age of, of uh, you know, the participants, really, and uh, to be fair, we're looking at uh, teenagers and people in their very early 20s who are very impressionable at this stage of their life, and they're, they're trying to live the dream as such, and often... Uh, that um, results in disappointment. I mean, not everyone can win or be a champion on any day of the week. So oh, I just wonder about, and you mentioned that the mental skills side of things, how, how much do you put into and, and your resources into just making sure the welfare of these, of these, uh, these athletes in particular? Yeah, it's a critical component. Um, you know, not just the welfare, but also, um, you know, the loco parentis, the, the well-being and looking after our athletes overseas. As you mentioned, they are, they are very young uh, and we have good support mechanisms looking after those athletes. But it starts back in Wanaka. We've got a national development programme and, and um, you know, those, those athletes are probably 13, 14, 15 years of age and um, we've currently got a, a national development team over in, in Switzerland at the moment uh, preparing for the Junior Worlds. So our our ability to look after those athletes in conjunction with their whānau and their, their families and support teams is a critical component of, uh, of making sure they deliver um, when they get to that elite age group. In, in terms of uh, funding, etc., funding is a massive side of things, uh, as most CEOs will uh, pay testament to. What kind of boost does this give your, your sport? Uh, look, we've, we've got our, our funding... Uh, discussions with high performance sport uh, happening in uh, June this year so it's a really good time to be uh, having that conversation when we've got our first Olympic gold medal so uh, you know we, we're pretty well funded through high performance sport uh, as you say we could always do more with a bit more funding but um, yeah we look forward to having those conversations with um, with, with Sport NZ and HBSNZ uh, later this year. You got Alice Rob. You just arrived by the sound of it. Alice Robinson in action uh, in around about uh, an hour and twenty minutes. We make it anyway. Um, what are your expectations from Alice? Because um, of uh, in terms of experience, she's probably one of the more experienced in the group. Yeah, look, um, I've been uh, lucky enough to be up here uh, with Alice and her, and her team for the last couple of days. She's skiing really well. Confidence is high. She certainly took a lot of inspiration out of Zoe's performance yesterday. And everything's tracking, tracking well. Um, we're confident that she'll deliver her personal best. And uh, when she does that, she's going to be in the mix for sure. When does uh, Nico Porteous uh, arrive, or has he arrived and, and prepared? Uh, Nico and the rest of the halfpipe team are in Switzerland at the moment, uh, and they arrive into the village on the 9th. So uh, they arrive on the 9th, a couple of days to acclimatise and, and get some media out of the way, and then they'll be into training uh, in the half pipe up in Genting Park. So our free, sky, uh, free skiers start today as well, and uh, you've got a, a fairly impressive team of those in action today. Yeah, we've got Margot Hackett uh, in the qualifying events for the free ski big air down in Beijing, and then tomorrow we've got uh, Ben Barclay and Finn Billis, our flag bearer, uh, leading the charge for the boys in the big air. Oh, Nick, it's been uh, fantastic to uh, to catch up with you, and especially on such a joyous time, actually, and it's only just begun. So uh, hopefully uh, many more times we'll hear uh, the national anthem or at least see the flag flying. So it's done wonders for, for us back here at home and really kick-started the event. So congratulations and uh, uh, pass our best wishes on to the team. I will do, and thanks very much for the support. It's, uh, it's amazing 
to feel that support from uh, from Beijing. It's uh, it's very much appreciated. So thank thanks everyone. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's f- cross our fingers for many more national anthems in Beijing. <laughs> yep, good on you, Nick. Uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. Enjoy uh, watching uh, Alice Robinson in about uh, eighty minutes' time. That's Nick Kavanagh, the CEO of uh, all our events over there in terms of the snow sports. Uh, and High Performance Director as well, and High Performance is certainly something uh, which we're getting out of them uh, right from this stage. Uh, uh, John, I'll tell you what, um, and whilst a lot of CEOs in sport around New Zealand are going through times of trying to deal with COVID and trying to make things meet and <laughs> make ends meet and, and then you know trying to organise things, uh, at least uh, here's one who uh, has gone overseas and got some success and uh, I would imagine uh, this is going to be massive, I think, for the profile of, of winter sports in this country, even though it's strong anyway. Definitely. Uh, I think he'll probably drop one of those titles, won't he? Um, they'll have enough money to hire either a high-performance director or another CEO. He won't have to wear both hats, Smithy. Like, it's a big job for one guy, um, and the more success we have and as the team grows bigger, uh, the more people will get hired, and I'd say that meeting in June with High Performance Sport New Zealand will be a very lucrative one for Snow Sports New Zealand. They've been able to build some amazing uh, training facilities down there in Wanaka in central Otago, and they'll only get better. And with better training facilities, uh, probably more competitions will be held in New Zealand. We'll see those real international superstars coming here once we open our border in October. And I, yeah, I'm like you, Smithy. I think Snow Sports, um, a lot of us have like kind of treated as a bit of a fun thing that we don't take too seriously. Uh, the Winter Olympics are starting to get just the profile that maybe the Summer Olympics have had for a long, long time for New Zealand. So well, it's definitely something that's being taken seriously and something that money will be poured into in the years to come. Oh, serious business, a serious business. And it's only the fact that um, the borders are, uh, are pretty much closed uh, that have prevented it going ahead straight away. I mean, because... These these kind of things, uh, you know, they sometimes impact on sports very, very quickly because you, you just look at it and think, man, uh, I want to be part of that, and I want to be part of it now. I want to take that up. I want to do it now. Um, and it's just the fact that, you know, we, we can't do a lot of that in this country at the moment, particularly around crowds, et cetera. Um, and and that's, that's the shame of it all. But I, I forecast that long term we're going to be talking a lot more about snow skiing, uh, half piping, uh, free air, big air, all those sorts of terms that are just completely and utterly foreign to us Yeah, uh, pretty much uh, every day. Um, but now, of course, um, and and why not? Why not? Absolutely, why not? Yeah, and given that it's, you know, the Northern Hemisphere summer is our winter, I think maybe competitors will be going, man, Zoe's good. Why don't I go down to New Zealand for three months in my off-season and learn, try and learn off her, you know, and try and learn what the New Zealanders are doing? We... We're almost like becoming world leaders in women's slo- uh, snowboard slope style, which is pretty cool for our coaches and everyone involved here as well. We we could become a, a bit of a mecca smithy in the off-season in the nor- Northern Hemisphere for athletes to come down here and learn what we're doing. I think so. I, I really do. It's, it, it's really good for our coaching uh, coaches. It's good for our setup because obviously uh, when you provide a team of this calibre, um, and, and you get the, the, these kind of results, then it, it's a great advertisement for the way you get things done. Uh, and anyway, New Zealand's always been a desirable place uh, at certain times of the year for uh, our snow down south, and I think this is just going to add to it. So uh, good on you, Zoe. Uh, good on you, Nick. Good on the rest of you, and good luck to the rest of them competing 
uh, in the next uh, week or so. All eyes on them. One sixteen here on SENZ. Uh, we'll take a short break. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we've been talking uh, most of the morning about uh, Zoe Sadowski Sinnott and just how inspirational she has been uh, for the start of the Winter Olympics. Uh, and we thought, well, why not uh, go to a, another uh, woman uh, in our uh, New Zealand sporting environment who is really inspirational and has been for a lot longer period of time. Uh, and I'm talking here about Emma Twig. A couple of weeks ago, we, we caught up with Emma, just a general catch-up, really, and uh, found out uh, a little bit more about Emma. Uh, we know as a rower, but what about as a cricketer? Uh, what about as a potential boxer? And, of course, she's going to be a mum shortly, so there was plenty to talk about. Really, there's uh, nothing around the corner, or we're not celebrating any great medal achievement or anything. It's just more of a, a catch-up and an update on, uh, what, Emma Twig. Uh, has been up to and uh, first of all Emma uh, happy new year to you and welcome back on the show uh, you're certainly in the boat we know that uh, preparing for what hey Smithy yeah um, we've got nationals coming up in February so I've definitely um, been back in the boat for a while now um, but yeah just just keeping it interesting it is keeping it interesting uh, how's how's training going can you assess where you're at uh, um, as if, you know if we sort of compare it to pre-Olympic mode. Where, where are you at in terms of uh, your preparation for the Nationals? Oh, we had a fairly decent break after Tokyo, so we're kind of just chipping away and building back in. Um, obviously, the focus for me this year is the World Champs in September, which is um, a fair few months away. So Nationals will be actually the first little tickle up, I think, since Tokyo. So it should be some good fun. Um, and then, yeah, the focus will probably switch to the World Champs mode. So quite clearly, you haven't lost the appetite. I'm oh, still loving it. Still, yeah. I mean, I, I love being out on the water and, and in my boat and um, doing what I love. So, yeah, I've been doing a few other things, I guess, to keep keep fresh. But um, still, still love my sport. Okay, so one of those other things I'm hearing through the grapevine, anyway, is that you're playing some cricket and you played for the Northern Brave A squad. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So Northern District A. So um, not quite the Brave. Um, that you know. I've been sitting on the bench um, with the, the Brave girls at some Super Smash games and doing a bit of mentoring with the girls and then and practising, um, you know, in the nets with them every now and then. And, and then Joe Broadbent, who's their coach, kind of said to me, would you be keen on a game? And um, I thought, well, that's one way to challenge myself. Um, so, yeah, ended up having a couple of T20s on the weekend and um, very much out of my comfort zone, but learnt a hell of a lot as well, which is what it's all about. <laughs> Well, good. A lot of people won't realise um, through um, uh, through your family background um, that uh, and your current family background, you've got quite a strong connection with cricket because um, Uncle Martin is, uh, uh, of course, uh, Uncle Martin Sneddon, married to uh, Annie, uh, and of course your wife Charlotte, a former Wellington cricketer and now commercial manager at the Northern District. So you actually have quite a strong tie with cricket throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I guess I lost the love of it. I played it when I was younger um, at Intermediate and then kind of went off and I guess rowing took over and obviously still had the connection there with Marty and, and my cousin Mike, who's in the Wellington team. So I've watched it from a distance and then meeting Shah's just, I guess, reignited this passion and I'm um, a huge supporter, especially of the women's game. I feel like, um, yeah, until you actually watch and see how many times it comes right down to the wire in the final over, uh, it's it's quite a cool product that's being produced now. So I love getting to the games and, and hence the reason why I've just, 
ended up sitting on the bench of the Brave and trying to learn as much as I can, I guess, from a different environment. How's the Brave concept going? Because this is a new one for the Northern Association, Northern Districts Association. Yeah, so Shah was heavily involved in that, that rebrand and I guess the concept was that um, we should have two teams, one name, men and women, um, given an, an even kind of playing field, I guess you could say, and they, they've set the standard and hoping that other associations they follow um, and I guess they took the lead from what's happening over in Aussie with the Big Bash um, and it's been it's been a success, I think. I think um, I guess the guys, yeah, they've kind of almost got to lead the charge a bit there in, in support of it and um, the women are, are really... I guess, feeling the love, um, and I think it's been great for the association. Of course, uh, coming up in April is probably the biggest event of your life because uh, you and Charlotte are expecting, so things going well there? Yeah, yeah, we're very excited. I thought you were going to say um, the the the, um, the game against rugby versus cricket PND was going to be the biggest event of my life, but um, no, we are, we are oh. expecting and we're excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and things are going good. Yeah, no, going really well. Um, Shah's kind of through the tough part and, we're yeah, we're excited. Obviously, it's going to be a, a life changer. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just another challenge and um, we've been, I guess, looking forward to this for quite some time. Well, you've inadvertently given yourself an opportunity to, to promote this major fixture coming up in April. So tell us a wee <laughs> bit about Northern District's Rugby vs Cricket. Yeah, I guess it's another, another concept a bit like... Um, Cricket versus rugby, uh, the Black Clash. Um, but again, they've kind of involved mm. some women as well, and they've um, got in a few cross coders uh, in the women's team to play alongside some of the rugby girls. And then the Chiefs are playing the Northern Brave men. So yeah, everyone, if you're around uh, early April, would come down to Sedan Park and give us a yell. Okay, so the burning question is, and we've had a couple of texts in to say, uh, how did you go? Anyway, just score any runs, take any wickets, take any catches, run outs. What did you do? Uh, well, it was a great day out. Um, I found myself on the boundary a lot, mid-wicket fielding, took a few diving saves, um, almost one too many and hurt my shoulder and then proceeded to bat <laughs> in the first first game, got two or four balls and then tripled my score in the third game with a sneaky boundary and six off ten balls. So, I mean... Can't complain. First game, first couple of games of cricket, and it was it was a real thrill. So, will it be the last time? I mean, obviously, rowing uh, takes precedent uh, precedence at the moment. But was it uh, did it whet the appetite enough to say, "Well, I'm determined to go back and have another go at this"? I mean, I would love to play some club cricket. The the, the challenge with women's cricket in um, Hamilton is that there isn't a, a club league, so it means going up to Auckland on the weekend. So my time commitment um, doesn't quite match up at the moment, but potentially down the track I might go in and try and find a club to play for. But what it's made me realise is that, you know, to be elite at any kind of sport, you need a, a real skill set and dedication to, to training and to mastering the art. Mm. And um, I think I'm a, a fairly long way from, from mastering the, the art of batting, um, as, you know, our, our white burns do. But hopefully we'll, we'll get to see some of that amazing talent on display when the World Cup hits our shores very shortly. Well, well that's it, Emma, and I know you're an all-rounder because we're, we're hearing about it now, but you just... Uh you watch all New Zealand sport and, and all women's sport as well. And, man, is this a big year for women's sport in this country or what? Yeah, it's huge. And it's, I think it's awesome. It's exciting 
young women now are getting these opportunities to see um, their future heroes on our on our um, TV screens and to be front and centre. And I'm I'm seriously excited about the Women's Cricket World Cup, but then following that Rugby World Cup and and the FIFA Women's World Cup, which I think New Zealand doesn't quite know how big that event is and what it's going to be like to have it in New Zealand. So it's pretty exciting times for women's sport. There's another thing that is in the notes here, and I need to confirm this or not. Fight for life? Is that a, is, is that a possibility? No. No, tell me no. Oh, I don't. I mean, I've been doing a bit of boxing, but um, I'm not sure that I can speak on, on that specific event just yet, but it could be something that's around the corner. Who knows? Okay, we'll leave it at that. That's, um, that's uh, just got... Everyone's eyebrows raised a wee bit. Let's get back. Let's get back to rowing. Um, just the same discipline for you this time round. Looking forward, uh, you're thinking about changing boats or any other combinations, etc. Or are we just head, heading in the same direction here? Uh, I mean, I'm really open to, to anything. Really, I, th- I don't really feel like I have much more to prove in the single. Um, I kind of closed the loop on that, I guess. But at the same time. Um, being in the single allows for a certain amount of flexibility and when you're having a child that might be um, top top priority next year so I think for me it's either going to be a double or a single um, next year and then you know who knows it's all about what boats get qualified and, and where I think you know you've got a bit, the best chance of winning another Olympic medal if it is um, something that I, I want to pursue um, to Paris Okay, Emma. Well, uh, hey, great catching up with you and it was a great catch up because uh, a lot of interesting things have come out of it uh, but um, most importantly, uh, good luck with your preparation for the Nationals and even more importantly, uh, the new arrival in April. Uh, we're with you there and I uh, hope everything goes well for you and Charles. Sweet. Thanks, Smithy. Catch you later. Hey, thanks. Always great, always great to catch up. Go well. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, Emma Twig. So that was uh, Emma Twig uh, just a couple of weeks ago and uh, never a quiet moment in her life, it seems. Uh, We'll take a a short break for the news with John McNeil when we come back. Uh, News of the new name for the Wellington women's rugby team. Uh, And uh, another stump smithy before midday. And catch all your summer sporting action on our app, SENZ. One thirty-four here on Waitangi Day, and uh, you're listening to SENZ uh, into the afternoons uh, in about uh, 25 minutes. Uh, a new team taking you over for the next four hours, and we'll tell you about that very shortly. Uh, the Hurricanes women's team, uh, speaking on that subject, though, will now be known as the Hurricanes Pua, P-O-U-A, Pua, uh, as uh, what I've been told it, it sounds like, so I hope I've got that right. Uh, the name is derived from... Uh, Purakau and uh, Ranginui, which is Sky Father, Papa Tuanuku, who is Earth Mother, and draws on already existing Purakau Maori narratives, the team's identity and connection to both the region and the people past and present uh, is uh, the reason for it. The team name was developed in collaboration between Tiatiawa uh, and a working group that included New Zealand Rugby's Maori cultural advisor Luke Crawford. Uh, Black Ferns greats Dr Farah Palmer, Hurricanes women's coach Wes Clark and players uh, Salika Winiata, Sarah Hirani and Jax Patia Fareti. So uh, as a verb, a poem means uh, to establish, to position, to elevate, to lift high, to plant firmly, to appoint or to anoint John. And as a noun, it means pillar, upright, support, goalpost, sustenance and support, stalwart and mentor. So a lot of strength behind the new name for the Hurricanes women's team 
in Super Rugby Opiki, which we're waiting to hear about its immediate future. Yeah, exactly. And this is follows on from Matatu, which is the South Island team. Uh, so I guess the ball is kind of in the Chiefs women's and Blues women's court. But it's cool that they're coming up with names that mean something to the region, something to the team, and they're going in deep here. Because when they first made the New Zealand Super Rugby team names, I don't think a lot of thought was put into it. Smithy, I think it was just like, this is a new thing. We've gone professional. Oh, geez, what should we do? I think it was just actually one guy who came up with the with the names uh, and yeah the name for the Auckland regional team uh, isn't that exciting is it Blues um, and then the Crusaders had their problems quite like Hurricanes Chiefs is pretty cool too and Highlanders did pretty well there but uh, it's cool that they're putting in a lot of thought here Smithy and it obviously means something so when these players first wear these jerseys it'll be even more special they're making um history as the first women's professional rugby players in this country as well as making history with these team names and getting their own identity which I think is great because you don't want this women's competition just to be oh the Blues women are playing a curtain raiser before the Blues men Uh, it doesn't give the women's competition as much uh, you know it's not as special as what it should be and what it is so I'm applauding these uh, names Smithy uh, just more names for us to learn and I'm sure we will over time yep And to get to know how to pronounce them absolutely perfectly, John, a Hurricanes Chief Executive, uh, Evan Lee, said he was really proud of the name, felt it connected uh, the club to the region. We decided we wanted to share the name with the wider Hurricanes club. Uh, Before announcing the name publicly, we wanted to ensure the name was embraced by our players as it's the beginning of their legacy. And New Zealand Rugby Māori Cultural Advisor Luke Crawford said he was delighted that the Hurricanes had ensured the tikanga was at the forefront of their identity development process. Uh, the primary input into the Hurricanes Pua team uh, name has come from Wahine. So uh, it's associated with the club and some players within the team. So there you go. Uh, the new name for the Wellington women's team. Uh, and uh, John, I'm, uh, I hasten to add at this point, uh, we need to hear something about those dates, don't we? Uh, in view of the, the, the big adjustment to the men's competition. Okay, the women's uh, competition involves just the four teams, uh, but logistically we haven't heard too much yet. No, four teams over four weeks, and we've been told since the Black Ferns came home last year after getting thrashed four times in a row by England and France that this competition has to take place. But Smithy, the problem with this is, like, cool, it's easy to take the men uh, to Queenstown for four weeks because they're all full-time paid players. I don't think all these women's teams, four of them, are all full-time paid professionals. So how can you do the right. same thing uh, and say, hey, ladies, uh, can you up sticks, move to Queenstown for four weeks, and we'll pay you a part-time wages? That just isn't going to happen, is it, Smithy? So something's got to give. I, I'm just thinking here probably the only thing they can do is postpone it. But how, how long do they have to postpone it? Uh, all these questions I bet are being asked right now at New Zealand Rugby, and tough to come up with some answers. Well, I, I don't think they can postpone it for too long because it's a, it's a double-edged reason for having it this year is, of course, um, the, the Black Ferns uh, in this uh, Rugby World Cup. Uh, they need to get sorted and uh, they need to have opportunity for players to make statements going uh, into the selection process of that. So I, I don't think they can afford to postpone it for too long. Uh, they'll probably, you know, as you say, that because it's so small and, and congested in terms of its length, they probably could find another window a little bit later on, but I'm not quite sure... Uh, whether that would be the case. And would you go back to Queenstown if that worked successfully? I suppose that you would. Uh, you've got uh, the one South Island team, of course, in the women's competition, and then you've got the three from um, from up north. 
Um, so, uh, you know, that's a bit of a sacrifice there. Uh, hopefully by that stage there'll be crowd and participation from crowd and family and friends and that will be able to go in bulk. Uh, so we, we might be back to that stage. It will, of course, be held in conjunction with television uh, for its exposure, etc. So therefore a window has to be found in that program as well. So there's all those sorts of things uh, that come into play, but certainly uh, you're right, it has to go ahead. It has to go ahead and relatively shortly, you would think. It's 1.39 here on SENZ, and uh, because it's Waitangi Day, we're going to have another stump smithy. So uh, 0800 we'll test to see if uh, you're listening out there and you want to have a second crack at winning some TAB vouchers today uh, or some sleep drops perhaps. So 0800 uh, join in on this, uh, our national holiday. It's with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. We're double dipping today, and why not? Uh, we gave away 50 bucks earlier in the day at our normal time of 11.30, and now it is 1.45, and we're giving away 50 bucks more and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive if you're good enough to get the third question right. And Bruce from Hamilton, or is it Richie from Upper Hutt? I'm confused. No, it's Bruce from Hamilton. How are you, Bruce? G'day, guys. I'm all right, mate. All yeah, excellent. Right. Excellent. Uh, the, rain's, the rain's finished, so yep. Oh, the rain's finished. Lucky you. Uh, I'm not sure whether it has up here in Auckland, on and off all the time. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a farmer, so nice bit of rain. So. Oh, you'll be loving it. There's hardly been any this summer. Um, all right. Oh, you, yeah, know how this, you know how this quiz works? You get yep. three sporting categories. You choose one, get them right, you win. Get one wrong, Smithy stumps you. So your categories are rugby league, netball or tennis, Bruce. Which one of those do you like? Uh, we'll go to the league, rugby league. League. Your Warriors, man? Next year's our year. Yeah, now that Reese Walsh is on his way out, maybe not next year either. But anyway, uh, first question is about the Warriors, sort of. They entered the comp in 1995. Name the other three teams who also entered the NRL in 1995. Three teams? Yeah. Ooh, Two ooh, of them don't exist anymore. Yeah, that's the Seagulls. Uh, the Western Red was Super League, wasn't it? Um, South Australia. Uh, well, we'll go um, North Queensland Cowboys, uh, Seagulls, uh, the Western Reds and the Rams. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, but you were there or thereabouts. Smithy, do you have any idea who entered the comp with the Warriors back in 95? Well, I'm pretty sure Wally Lewis was part of the Seagulls, wasn't he, initially? Gold Coast Seagulls or Wally Lewis. So I'm going to say them. Uh, I'm going to say, um, when you say they don't exist anymore, is that because they've merged and they're a team with someone else or whether they've just disappeared off the face of the earth? So... I'm going to say that uh, St George and Illawarra were, decent, uh, were different teams back there, so I'll go Illawarra has disappeared. Um, and apart from that, John, I'm battling a wee bit. I know North Sydney have disappeared. I, I, I I'll, I'll say, I shall say, no, I can't. I can't really. No, they're the only two I've got. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Good news for you then, Bruce. Uh, it was the North Queensland Cowboys. It was the South Queensland Crushers and the Western Reds. 
they were the three other teams to also enter the NRL in 95. I think the Gold Coast Seagulls have been a, around for a few years by then. They had Brent Todd, Wally Lewis, Dale Shearer. A lot of guys went up there for a holiday and then retired, which is very good for them. So you're still alive, Bruce. Question yeah, number two. Yeah. The Parramatta Eels haven't won uh, the NRL title since the 80s, but how many titles did they collect during that decade? Oh, they won about four, I think. I'll go four. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and the way it goes. Peter Sterling, Brett Kenny, Mr Perpetual Motion, Eric Groth Sr., all the great Smithy. Yep. Uh, that's a good one. It's a nice answer. So four, I was going to go five myself if you hadn't have won that. But you got a chance here, Bruce. Good luck. All right, Bruce. No, I'm alive, yeah. I'm yeah. not walking. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. Warriors coach Nathan Brown infamously slapped who while he was coach of the Dragons? Oh. 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 Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. I wanted to slap Trent Barrett too while he was coaching Manly, but lucky he left and Dizzy came back. But well done to you, oh, Bruce. He, he supplied his own chairs, eh? <laughs> Old Trent at Manly. Yeah, yeah, he's a good lad. Oh, you know your rugby league. Well done. You're a winner, Bruce. Congrats. Yeah, no worries. Thank you, guys. Get on you, mate. Stay on the line, uh, and Brian will get your details. So uh, two winners today here on Stump Smithy. Congratulations. Special day because it's uh, Waitangi Day. We'll be back to normal tomorrow with just uh, the one winner. It is 1.49 here on SENZ. Just about time to hand over the reins.